Good evening, all you Commanders, Eagles, and Angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara Rama's Hard News on Friday night at BBS Radio Station 1. We're so grateful that you're here joining us tonight. And I'd like to take a few moments to just go into our heart space. Set that tone for the evening. So let's bring in that calling drum, the kidney drum. Do that calling drum beat. Take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose. Out through your mouth. Slowly and gently. Let go of that drop of the day. Go into your heart space. Gather with your guides, your guardians, your spirit team, your healing team, your ancestors, whoever you like to journey with that drumbeat with. There's a council fire in the center. Let us all gather around that council fire in that virtual way that we know how to do. Coming close. Make that perfect circle. As we call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. Welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. Welcome from the north. House of Night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We greet from the West, the House of Transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. We greet from the south the house of the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being.
welcome from above the house of paradise where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light and mutual love. Ayun, Hunaku, even Maya, even Hope. Ayun, Hunaku, even Maya. Give a hope. Are you? Hunaku. Even Maya. Give a hope. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Home Atakuya. In Lakash, Alakin. So just stay wherever that drumbeat could be. And as we take a few moments to look at the Mayan calendar for today and for the week ahead, it's not really a calendar, it's a record of days. (laughs) So the Zulkin is what we're looking at. And today is a two-band, the Red Lunar Skywalker, kin number 93. And so it's a two-day. That means yesterday we started a new wave, and that was the wave of that magnetic human wave spell, a yellow magnetic human. So this is a a time to work with being in right relations with all our relations. So um, let's take a look at this Ben Day. It's the the two tone, the lunar tone is polarized, stabilizing challenge, or it's three distinctive descriptive words. In the Skywalker, Ben, it's explore, wakefulness, and space. So the affirmation for today, I polarize in order to explore, stabilizing wakefulness. I feel the output of space with the lunar tone of challenge. I am guided by the power of life force. So what is that guiding power? Do you know? It's the serpent, the red serpent. So, um, and I am a galactic activation portal. Enter me. So today is a portal day. It carries that extra dimensionality and how perfect that is with Ben. That's where we learn how to bend those directions. 
And the challenge today is the blue knight. Akbal and the ally is the world white world bridger, like Kimi. And the occult power for today is the yellow star, Lamat. So that's the, where we are now is with that occult guidance from the star during this this period of time of the day, and actually all day is the, is the spirit guide with a destiny chart there. So let's look at Ben a little bit closer. It's um, aspect is the warrior aspect, the Skywalker. So our work with this Ben energy with the Skywalker is it's focused and it's about striving towards self-illumination. It's about clarity. So we embrace these gifts from the Skywalker, the strength, that ability to bend dimensions. And we are in that portal day, so we're in all those dimensions as we wish to access. We have that access. So let's let go of any resistance to faith or any belief in aloneness as we embrace these energies today. And as we move along to Saturday then, it is the white electric magician or wizard. And um, so it's a three each and we're looking with this visionary aspect of the magician. So we have this the task of illumination for others and, and working for clarity of mind and purpose. So we embrace the gifts of the magician, the shaman, the jaguar medicine, doing that jaguar priestess and working with integrity and in accordance with divine will with this energy. As we let go of any control or personal power issues or any manipulation. And then moving along to Sunday, four men, the blue self-existing eagle on this day. This is a visionary aspect, the eagle. And our work is our commitment to service and moving consciousness to source and reconnecting with all creation with this energy. So we embrace these gifts of independence, that belief in ourselves as we let go of any feelings of despair or any dissociation. We let go of that illusion of separateness. And then moving on to Monday, it is another portal day. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a five key, so it's a yellow overtone warrior. He being a warrior aspect as well. And with that portal energy, we're got the extra dimensionality involved. So this is when we work, we have our work is trusting in our journey and bringing awareness of right action. So embrace these gifts of communication with the divine and that access to cosmic consciousness. We let go of any limitations or restrictions or any hesitation. We embrace these energies on Monday. And then Tuesday, it's the sixth Kaban, the red rhythmic earth. And the earth is a healing aspect. So we are the keeper of the earth. This is our work with this energy as well as our awareness of earth energy, listening, what does she need, what is she talking about, what is her energy. So we embrace these gifts of having that access 
to planetary harmony and being that balancing point and that gift of intuition. So, um, so we can hear what she's asking for. So let's let go of any separation or any failure to read the signs or any dissociation. We embrace these energies on Tuesday and then moving along to Wednesday. It's the white resonant mirror, a seven X knob. X knob is the mirror, it's a warrior aspect, and it's about working on our groundedness and that wise use of honesty and, and self understanding. So let's embrace these gifts of scrying and seeing that fluidity, that persistence that the mirror brings into our presence so well. As we let go of any illusions of separateness, any fear, abandonment, all the illusions. And then moving along to Thursday, it's at 8 o'clock, the blue storm, the galactic blue storm. So this is a visionary aspect as we do the work of creating that transformation for others and lighting clear thoughts. So we have these gifts at that possibility of freedom, that power of catalyzing. So use them and let go of any addiction to crisis, any despair, or any fear. As we embrace these storm energies on Thursday, and then we come back on Friday, it'll be a nine and a half, it's the yellow solar sun, like yellow sun sun, <laughs> the solar sun. So this is a healing aspect of sun, a howl. This is where we rise to Christ consciousness and strive towards wholeness, and, and we are transmitting energy to others with this, this gift. So let's embrace these gifts of that possibility, thinking, unconditional love, and the God self as we let go of any limitation or any separation and complete another union with this energy. We'll talk about that some more next Friday when we come back. As, um, yeah, we're moving right into the core areas of the Zulking. And so next week we'll start into the 10 um, portal days in a row that we have in the core area of the Zulking, this pattern that we walk through of those 260 days. <laughs> so it's going to be, it's going to be intense. And this is, we're, things are intense enough. Let's just keep it trucking. <laughs> keep on keeping on. And so I'm going to take a few minutes as I change my hat. I, as we are a listener-supported radio program, it's each of us that makes it happen. So I want to tell you how to make it happen. <laughs> each week we need $300 for our expenses with CBS Radio. And this week... And on Monday, we need this the money on Monday. We are a little bit behind, so we need $434.17 on Monday. So it's a bit timely, so it's a good time to um, make it happen right away, <laughs> get through it. Uh, and we're grateful. We're grateful for all that you donate and all the ways that you do. So here's how we make a donation to our account at BBS Radio. You want to go to radio station one and look for 
Friday night on the menu at the 6 o'clock hour, and there you'll see the icon for Friday night hard news on the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Lala. You'll see that icon there. Click on that icon, and that'll take you directly to our account. Um, and if you wanted to go and to either our other shows to make that donation on Thursdays on Radio Station 2 at the 6 o'clock hour. It's a night at the round table with the panel. You can click on that icon, and that'll go to our account as well. As with the program on Saturdays at the 1.30 hour, and these are Pacific time. I said that already. So there you can click on that icon for um, the true history, history, and the Sarah and Galactic Origins with Tyra and Lama on Saturdays on BBS Radio Station 2. So that's our three programs. We're grateful to be on Radio Station 1 tonight, and we welcome all you new ones who are just joining us. Um, yeah, lots of gratitude for your coming on board. And um, let's see, here's that's how we make those donations to BBS Radio. Again, we need $434.17 for by Monday would be good. And um, we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And uh, this week, they need something immediately for gas money so they can go somewhere. <laughs> they usually have uh, things to go and, and, and do on over the weekend. And so if anybody can send any emergency funds, that would be real appropriate for that gas money. And they also need another 250 for their living expenses. And they also have a bill of $45 that needs to be paid. Um, so it's $45 in the $250, that's close to $300, and then the, the $434 for the radio. Not too bad this week, so we're grateful for all of you. Thank you for participating and assisting Rama with their needs. Here's how we do it. We go to the web address at rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, as you click on that menu grid, menu will drop down near the bottom of that list. There's a donate button. Click on that. That'll link you to Rama's PayPal account, where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. So thank you for taking that action. That's the account for Rainbow Roundtable. If you have your own PayPal account, you can access the friends option by not clicking on that button, but rather going into your own PayPal account and putting in Rama's email there as the friend you're going to gift. And that email address there is Koran, K-O-R-A-M, 999949 at hotmail.com. So Koran9999 at hotmail.com and that'll that gives you the friends option. So that's how we do it that way. So thank you for taking that action. Either way is perfect. We're so grateful for your all of your donations. And uh as you're sending something, please let Rama know that you sent something. And that email for Rama's personal Email for that communication is Koran, K O R A N, 999 at Comcast.net. So that's three nines. And 
the same call in at Comcast.net. And then as you need, need it, the mailing address is Ron B. Berkowitz, R-A-N-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's that, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, and the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 28, no, that's mine, is 87. Five six seven, eight seven five six seven is the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. So there you have it, all the information that you need. And um, I have a web address I want to give you, and it is, um, well, there's an update with it. It's usually shop free mart. And, and now it's changed to New Gen Mart, and I don't know if they have the new website up yet, so I'm not going to give it to you. But I can give you the New Gen address, which is for the the coin we're playing with and investing in. So that address, HTTPS, colon forward slash forward slash www.newgencoin.com, N-U-G-E-N. C-O-I-N, newgencoin.com, forward slash P-A-R-R-A-M is one, or N-A-R-N-O-R is the other. Either one is fine. So there you have it. And I'm ready to pass this talking stick, but first, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart, long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick, and it's it's full of just magical energies and lots of solar solar energy and so lots of rays from the universe, lots of universal energy in the stick, lots of rays from the universe, all the rainbow colors, um, especially that 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 blue sapphire blue and that violet flame and the uh, Excalibur and the quaddle and all kinds of fairies and feathers on this talking stick with lots of little people, the hobbits, the manahoonies, the gnomes, and a few dragons with lots of fire. So greetings, Tara and Rama, here comes the talking stick. Careful of that fire, but it's fifth dimensional, it won't burn you. Greetings. Oh, you command your eagles and angels, and thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Rainbird. Yeah. That Mayan calendar is really up to it. <clears throat> Surfing the Zuvaya. Yes. That was a great book. I remember well, a long while ago, I read the whole thing to everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, and um, a friend of ours, she, <coughs> a friend of ours, she, uh, what was it, she, uh, the author, she, she knew the author of that book. Who was the author of that oh, book? Oh, Jose Arguez. Jose Arguez, right. Yeah. 
She actually uh, knew him very well. He's not on the planet anymore. But uh, I'm just saying that she spent lots of times uh, having chats with him and uh, he was very tuned in. Yes. His uh, son had a few problems. I think he lost his son to a car accident or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It's, uh, kind of vague in my head, but um, everything's for the highest good, no matter how drastic it looks from one end or the other. The sun shines on everyone. It doesn't make choices, right, Rama? Yes. So Rama's just saying that today, uh, I received a text message at 11.55 a.m. late this morning. From Tom the Ringtail Cat and Sweet Angelique the Cat. They said to me, Lord Rama, we were at Stonehenge. Again. Again. For sunrise this morning. And Penny Rama will send it to you. They sent him a picture. Yes. It's a whole different angle. It's uh, right at, at the ground level, right through these really close to these megalithic stones and looking through them uh, in the opening there at sunrise on the other side. Wow. At certain at certain angles through the stones, we could see portals opening before our very eyes. These portals can take you to many places on our planet, Gaia. Uh, Uh, There is a legend about Stonehenge that as you call for Merlin at either sunrise or sunset, you may see him enter through one of these portals. This is called surfing the (laughs) Zavaya. As Merlin beckons to you to follow him, think about where you'd like to go. Perhaps the Pleiades or maybe Venus. As you meditate on these things, the message will come to your heart. You may even enjoy taking a journey um, to to your heart's desire. Yes. Make sure you know how to get back. That's correct. Is there an uh, instruction booklet that say how to get back, dear, or will Merlin bring you back? Merlin will bring you back, as far as I understand. Do you remember being Merlin? Uh, I remember being part of that collective consciousness in Mer- as Merlin. You were in that physical body. Yeah, there were many souls. Well, uh, there's one main being, yeah. and then there are things going on with other souls called body hopping. Yes. And that went on a lot more in the earlier times. Yes, it did. People got really thoroughly brainwashed into 3D here more recently, folks. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so... uh, I guess that's Satnam Namaste, Blaze the Violet Fire. That was yes. It. 
So what else did you want to share, Rama, about oh, today? The energies are continuing to go higher. The solar flares are continuing and the dark side is continuing to spiral out of control with the absolute insanity. Um, you could play that now. Uh, I suppose I gotta find it. Well, go ahead and find it. Okay. That's not hard. Yeah. Yeah, Billy Carson's just so prolific. He is just. Mm. There's he's he's sending stuff till there's no tomorrow, and but this is just a short one. It's uh, nine minutes and thirty seconds, and Billy Carson says, "We are living in a matrix." written on mathematics called Adinkra Adinkra codes. No, there's no R after the D. Mm. Adinkra codes. Got it? No, it's taking a while. Oh. <clears throat> well, um, mm. I'll just say you keep this in the circle of support because I mentioned it yesterday that the Western me media is reversing everything that's true about what's going on in, in Ukraine. And um, this morning on RT, they said a few things that raises the eyebrows up to the crown chakra. Uh, they started off, they said, um, <clears throat> a nuclear crisis is narrowly avoided after at least seven shells exploded near the Zap Zaporozhia nuclear power plant. There's so many ways to spell that word. Z-A-P-O-R-O-Z-H-Z-H. Um, I-A or Z-A-P-O-R-O-Z-H-E just one of those things and I think that's the uh, western version anyway the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant overnight and I'm going to make a very strong course correction we'll have to correct it in our notes Penny as we find it but the Zaporozhia power plant is nowhere near northern Ukraine. It's in um, it's it's in southeastern Ukraine. That's where it is. I have to reboot this. It's going to take a bit of time. Well, go ahead and reboot it. Yeah. Why do you have to reboot it? Because things are moving too slow. And okay. How long is that going to take? Maybe five minutes or more. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, hurry up. Hurry, hurry, hurry as fast as you can go. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, let me go back there. They have found only today seven anti-tank mines. 
And all this kind of stuff came from you paying your taxes. And Mr. Dead President Joe Biden, been dead for three years now, going on whatever after that. Uh, that's a hologram you're looking at. <clears throat> and I'm just asking deeply, what are they going to do when that comes? They said they're not going to cover it up anymore about 9-11 and you know, and at the same time, they do it all at once or not at all, too. But Joe Biden ordered 9-11. He ordered George, what was his first? Tenet, T-E-N-E-T. He ordered the head of the CIA at the time, George Tenet, to literally do a 9-11. And they set up a set of holograms to make it look like, I remember watching this, and it was just like this was 7.30 in the morning, and we were in the Four Corners. We were in uh, Mancos. We watched these two planes go fly right through the towers. and we Keddie ran Corner. Keddie Corner at the top of the tower. Yeah, and nothing, and happened, nothing happened to the, to the planes. planes. I mean, nothing. It was like a cartoon. Oh, oh my God. What a crazy it was Same. too weird because they were playing with holographic and all kinds they of weird. They put up holograms. Yeah. They did. And then I remember uh, 9-11 and loose Inside change. Job. And then the second one was 9-11 Loose Change. Yeah. Second edition. And then the last one. I don't remember. 9-11... I don't recall. I don't recall. <laughs> but we went to see. What did we go to see? Yeah. We went to that cinema theater, didn't we? Um, we went there to see Freddie Silva and some movie or video about... Oh, that was about... Uh, crop circles. Crop circles, Yeah. yeah. But didn't we see 9-11 Loose Change somewhere? Maybe we did. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely we did. In the same theater. Mm-hmm. That was another time. And, I mean, there were literally raptors flying through the air. And one of those raptors was Dick Cheney's that shapeshifted into his real self. Yeah, he's not human. There's a whole nother story, but Rama's got to have a little more thorough conversation with the faction Three White Knights. But there's this idea that there are just billions of people that are not exactly human to start out with. And uh, also, something about the brown dwarf, Rama. Something about the that there's two sons. Besides the sun Saul, there's the brown dwarf star, and that's our second sun. There's many different angles to that story, because it involves Nibiru and something called Nemesis, and there's too many weird kind of intricate stories about it. And um, Tiamat and Marduk are in the middle of that story, too. And uh, just 
suffice it to say, the and, Sol and what, Sun what? system has 12 to 14 planets. They only talk about nine of them. You well, know? the 10th one is Persephone. Yeah. What's the 11th one? Um, maybe... Um, we remembered, we had all the all the uh, rest of them named. Yeah. You're going to have to go look that information up. But yeah. I'm just saying to new people, welcome on Station One. This is a, a wild show and a half. <laughs> I just know that um, this morning, we were up at 5.30 this morning, maybe a little bit earlier, 20 after 5 or so. And there were two starships. It was still plain, plain old dark. And there were two starships. And they were very adjacent to each other. Plain sight. We were looking out the bay window here, and they were just in our face. Yeah, they were. Oh, my God. And they're gold in color. and But they were close. Yes. And you could see the uh, lights spinning on the outer rim of both of them. And we're both just like, okay. And, I, you know, I didn't get any specific message other than, in case you were wondering, we're here. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because this, this story in Ukraine is absolutely, it's stupid what's going on there. So as we were saying, they have found out today only today, seven anti-tank mines. Now, they are carrying them away into this abandoned Ukrainian fortification, which very soon will be no more. And then the RT reporter says, as the mining operations continue across the Donbass, RT takes a closer look at the work of Russian staffers in the area and sexual abuse and rampant misconduct. Uh, the UN peacekeepers in the, excuse me here, in the, um, Democratic Republic of Congo raped locals. They That, according to a new report, we heard the victims' just desperate stories. Did you find it by now? Um, I'm getting it. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and then a, a, a Congolese mother said to the reporter, I lost my daughter who died while she was pregnant. Uh, one of the soldiers made her pregnant. And in the process, while she was pregnant after that happened, she died. I have no place. Uh, I have no place to claim my rights. And then a young Congolese man said, since they arrived that day, I have seen that I have seen that 
they have not produced anything. And they just rape our sisters and our mothers. They must leave. And the woman that's reporting the RT, her name is Fiorella Isabel. And she goes on and she says, by August 18th, there had been 12 instances of shelling at the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant. That was yesterday. And in the city of Energodar, in which more than 50 shells exploded. That's right there in uh, um, as I was saying, Zaporizhia is actually in the southeastern part of, kind of not very far from where Mariupol was. It's a little bit more inland, but not much. Oh yeah, you got enough time. Go ahead. And, you got it ready? Yeah. Okay, we're going to play this, everybody. And just put that whole situation in the circle of support. It's absolutely insane what these people are doing. Blaze the violet fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here we go. Mr. Zelensky thinks he can blame everything on Russia when he's the one that's doing it. Mm-hmm. You got the sound up, honey? <laughs> We're in the third dimension. What we tend to not understand is that time really doesn't exist. Clocks exist. Big time mainstream quantum physicists and theoretical physicists are admitting that this is true now. We've been given this functional arrow of time, which puts us in one specific direction so that we can organize our thoughts and our days and our years and weeks and what we're going to do and what we're going to meet up with somebody and everything else. So we have this ability to coordinate and collaborate with each other. However, if you understand that time is also an illusion, it's something that you can use as a tool, but if you also understand that it's an illusion, then you can actually master time and you can maximize what you're doing on this planet. Because if you go in all the higher dimensions, you know, we're in the third. So if you draw a line on a piece of paper, that's the first dimension. If you then connect those lines and, and uh, create a house on a piece of paper, that's a two-dimensional structure, or you can move it into a computer. Anything you see in a computer that looks 3D is actually 2D. And because we're in the third, we can see down into 2D, you can see all the way down obviously into 1D, and we can manipulate those dimensions from our higher selves. Now, there are beings in fourth, fifth, and sixth dimensions. There's people above us. Because of that, they see us and they recognize the past, present, and future operating all at the same time. Everything's happening at once. There is no separation between the past, present, and the future. The arrow doesn't exist. Because they're higher than us, they can look down into the third and they can see into what we're doing. The fourth dimension is something called a tesseract. If you go into the ancient text, it's Metatron's cube. Meta, M-E-T-A, metaverse, right? They got that from Metatron's cube. And this fourth dimension is really something called a quasi-crystal. And this quasi-crystal in the fourth dimension, it casts a shadow. And the shadow that it casts, it creates the realm that we're living in here. We're living in a shadow of a higher dimension. That shadow creates a third dimension. It actually creates a fractal of it, creates this fractal holographic matrix that we're actually maneuvering in in the third dimension right now. 
you can address a fourth dimension of time like Albert Einstein was saying if you're just looking at a third plus a fourth being the arrow. But when you actually move up into another dimension, we now know in quantum physics that there is actually a fourth dimension. So all dimensions are in 90 degree angles of each other. And according to uh, quantum theory right now, we're really anticipating that there's at least 11 dimensions, or otherwise the universe would collapse. So there really is truly a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all the way up, not just the arrow of time. That's just something extra. I believe personally, just based off of my research, and I've gone through now over a thousand scriptures, texts, papyruses, cuneiform tablets from all over the world. They all have a very similar story. Mm -hmm. All these uh, ancient civilizations talk about beings, not just beings who came here from other planets, people that look like us, not identical, but very similar. In other words, a bilateral, bipedal hominid of some type that can maneuver around, that has appendages that can manipulate the environment, because without that, you can't move out into space and other places. And they also talk about multidimensional. You get into like the non-Kamadi, stuff like that, You're talking about multidimensional beings. And so in physics, in quantum physics in particular, they started theorizing on these dimensions and were able to even analyze and discover some that they actually do exist. And on top of that, they realized that the dimensions of if you have a floater in your eye and you've also been prescribed glasses, you must see this now. A Nobel Prize winning discovery from Dr. Greg Samet. Dimensions are stacked so packed so tight on top of one another that if you can phase shift your atomic structure, your subatomic frequency, you can walk right into another dimension. And so they started postulating, what if beings from higher dimensions are some of these apparitions and these paranormal phenomena that we're seeing are they able to maybe take a glimpse or a peek? Are they phasing through into our, our universe? And so from higher dimensions. And so they started really theorizing it. And it seemed to be, and based on my research, that there's people living everywhere. Not just, and I'm talking about little green men with antenna. I think that there's people living all throughout this universe in the third dimension. And I think there's people living all throughout even higher multiple dimensions, maybe at a certain level, a certain height in those dimensions, maybe they don't have a real corporeal body, you know what I'm saying? But I believe that the consciousness is there. There's a trinary star system that we know of called Sirius, the Sirius star system, A, B, and C. B is a failed star, in other words, it ran out of fuel, turned into a white dwarf. These beings were orbiting on a planet that orbited that star, according to the Dogon, not me, came here, they're called the Nomo, the Dogon called them the Nomo, taught them all about the star system, the orbital pattern, our entire solar system, the names, the shapes, the sizes, the colors of all the planets in our solar system, all the planetary alignments. And they even knew that white dwarf star was so gravitationally heavy that one spoonful couldn't be lifted by over one million men. They even knew that. We learned that in quantum mechanics and quantum physics right. in the 1970s, 1980s. You know, we hypothesized it. And obviously we couldn't even see that star until the 1980s. And Professor James S. Gates, who used to be the um, the science advisor for Obama when he was in office. He's now the professor, I believe, at the University of Maryland in uh, supersymmetry and theoretical physics. He rediscovered him, obviously, and he took, turned him into three-dimensional objects. And then from there, he found the error correcting codes. He was analyzing and accessing information about the ether of space-time. And he discovered that the entire ether, in other words, everything this soup that we're operating in without the, throughout the entire universe is running on a specific code. It's called an Adinkra code. It's called error correcting codes. The same exact kind of codes that run search engines and web browsers. That's what's running the universe. One thing people don't understand is that well, everything in the third dimension is made of light. And so we are light and light is us. We know that 
the illusion of this avatar body and this chair I'm sitting on and the table that you're sitting at. What is this? This is slow down light waves. Mm -hmm. When you slow light down and the consciousness interacts with it, it collapses it into what we call solid matter. So solid matter is actually an illusion. Right. For example, the only thing stopping my hand from going through this chair is the repulsion of the electromagnetic frequencies. I don't actually touch the chair. And so if I can phase shift the atomic frequency of my hand to match the same frequency of the atoms in this chair, I pass my hand right through it because atoms are 99.999% empty space. Because of that, we're a fractal. We have consciousness, which is also light. A fractal is when you take, for example, if you look at a, a hologram and you go to one part of the hologram, one tiny piece and look at it, you'll see the entire image in that smallest piece. The only thing you lose is a little bit of resolution. And so it's important for people to understand that this entire realm is a fractal of a whole. We're a fractal of the universe. And our consciousness, even though it's one consciousness, it's also a fractal of main master consciousness. And it's really incredible that every thought that you think in your skull, it leaves your skull as a form of a light wave. Every time you think, we know this because we can put a cap on your head in a laboratory, put a little electrodes on it, sensors, until you think about something, and it's going to show up on the computer screen mm -hmm. because the computer is reading the light waves coming out of your skull. We can't see those waves because we can only see 1% of the light spectrum as human beings. We're limited. We don't see gamma rays. We don't see ultraviolet. We have this power of thought, which you have the ability to even travel through light, leaving your mind and traveling light. You can actually connect to other realms, other dimensions through conscious thought. Quantum entangling your light waves with other light waves that exist in the universe, not only in the third dimension, but even multiple dimensions. Your mind can entangle with somebody on the other side of the universe. A lot of the times, you know, you can say, oh, I came up with this great idea, but you really did. You right. downloaded that idea because you entangled with the information. Big time mainstream quantum physicists and theoretical physicists are admitting that this is true now. It's not woo-woo science no more. This is like getting taught in university. When I was at MIT, studying applied neuroscience, one of the things we learned about was this exact thing. The fact that not only can you walk in a room like you were saying earlier and you can uh, sense the vibe and you can actually transmit negative or positive energy mm -hmm. to somebody. Somebody's at a, at a low frequency and you walk in positive and high frequency enough, your light being can actually raise their energy level. Right. And if you're not high enough and they're low, they right. can actually drop your energy level. Right. Depends on how strong you are consciously. And then also we talked about the fact that we can entangle with information throughout the entire multiverse. And if you're able to discern the information, if you can put the action behind it, it could be one of the greatest inventions. It could be Web3, it could be NFTs or whatever. All this stuff comes from other places. A lot of the male in, in this society right now, they're being emasculated, you know, and a lot of it's, it's chemical-based. Chemical castration, man, it's, it's all these microplastics. You know, we're, we're inhaling them, it's in the food, it's in everything. They did a test on those microplastics. They were converting frogs in male frogs into women. This is just crazy stuff. So the testosterone levels in men are the lowest it's been since they've been recording. And the ability for people to make a lot of logical decisions right. is also dropping. Okay, everybody. Uh, it's really important. Don't put food in plastic bags. You can use paper bags. And then you can put the plastic if you want to preserve it. And you can put it around the paper bag and you got the vegetable or something inside of all of that. But uh, that's really an important thing. And 
if you've got any kind of uh, things you're going to be taking, you know, in capsules or things, uh, we save the glass bottles and we put the capsules in the glass bottle jars. Anyway, it's it's a it's a consciousness that's really important to to work with. All right, so we will see you at the uh, conference call. Rama's got the number here. Um, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. So we'll see you there, and then at the top of the next hour, we'll be right back here at BBS Radio Station One. Okay, thought now, everybody. Now let's stay.
us and the crickets here, everybody. <laughs> joining us for our weekly vlog. With the activities of light, 
that have been successfully accomplished so far in 2022. The company of heaven said the masses of humanity are awakening at an accelerated pace. This is giving every person's I am presence the opportunity to once again intuitively remind us of our purpose and reason for being on earth during this critical time. Every person's purpose and reason for being is unique, but there are collective divine matrices in the realms of cause that support all of our individual divine missions simultaneously. Today, the company of heaven has asked us to empower the following activity of light with the divine intent of assisting every person to more clearly hear the intuitive inner guidance from their I am presence. If you have the heart call to participate in this holy endeavor, please join with me now. And we begin. I am my I am presence, and I am one with my Father, Mother, God. The entire company of heaven and the I am presence of every man, woman, and child on earth. I am one with the elemental kingdom and with Mother Earth. When I invoke for myself this sacred and holy day, I invoke on behalf of every person on earth in perfect alignment with his or her divine plan and the highest good for all concerned. During this life-transforming cosmic moment, I am experiencing a new level of inner knowing and enlightenment with every breath I take. As this divine wisdom surfaces into my conscious mind, I begin to fathom my purpose and reason for being on earth with a new clarity. As I awaken to new levels of awareness, my I am presence reveals that I am not just a victim of the circumstances occurring in my life, but rather through the various thoughts, words, feelings, and actions I have expressed during my myriad earthly sojourns, I have co-created my current earthly experiences. I now remember that through the universal law of the circle, I am the co-creator of the experiences in the physical plane of Earth. With every breath I take, my consciousness, which consists of my thoughts, feelings, words, actions, memories, and beliefs, is projected onto the atomic substance of physical matter. As the gift of my life force flows through me, it picks up the various vibrations of my consciousness 
and then expresses those vibrations in visible form, experiences, and circumstances. In other words, what I think about, what I put my feelings and energy into, I am bringing into form. Because of the confusion I have experienced in the past, I have given power to physical matter through my human ego. I have allowed the distorted manifestation of physical matter to become my reality, when in truth, it is only an illusion created by my thoughts, feelings, words, actions, memories, and beliefs. In other words, my consciousness. In my newly awakened state, I now realize with a deeper level of understanding and clarity that physical matter is nothing more than a mass of atomic energy controlled by my consciousness. Never does matter control consciousness. My world reflects my human consciousness. In the past, I have set about trying to change the physical conditions of my world instead of changing my consciousness. Those conditions are only the reflection of my consciousness. Trying to change physical conditions without changing my consciousness is like trying to change the reflection in a mirror without changing the object causing the reflection. It is a futile effort. Now, in my awakened consciousness, I realize that I am one with my I am presence and that all my Father, Mother, God have is my divine birthright. With this knowing, my transfiguration is occurring subtly and deeply at an atomic cellular level. This process is being greatly accelerated through newly activated transfiguration codes within my 12 fifth dimensional crystalline solar strands of DNA and the new matrix for my divine body template. The seed of this new awareness is now growing within me it is blazing like the sun and radiating forth multifaceted and multidimensional crystalline rays of fifth dimensional solar light. My heart flame is expanding and the flame of comprehensive divine love, which is now pulsating in the divinity of my heart, is expanding as well. With every elevated holy breath I take, the flame of comprehensive divine love in my heart is expanding and connecting with the flame of comprehensive divine love blazing in the heart of every son and daughter of God on earth. Now, through humanity's unified heart flames, our Father Mother God will infuse Mother Earth's planetary grid of comprehensive divine love 
with brand new frequencies of fifth dimensional crystalline solar light. The company of heaven is revealing that the planetary grid of comprehensive divine love now enveloping Mother Earth is the mightiest force of love on the planet. This planetary grid is the bridge of light that spans the abyss from the lowest octaves of human suffering and consciousness into the highest realms of illumined truth and God's infinite perfection. This is the bridge to freedom over which the souls who are still being manipulated by the etheric memories of their obsolete fear-based human egos and sources outside of themselves will now be able to free themselves and become one with their I am presence. This will allow them to hear the intuitive inner guidance of their I am presence and to communicate with this aspect of their own divinity in much more powerful ways. Today, humanity is being presented with an extraordinary opportunity to empower our divine missions as instruments of God. If you have the heart call to do so, Please join with me now as we empower this truth on behalf of all humanity. And we begin. I am an instrument of God. I am my I am presence and I am one with the I am presence of every person on earth. Collectively, humanity's I am presences now merge into one luminous being of light that is cradling Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her within the divinity of our unified heart flames. Humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth are now breathing in unison with me as one elevated holy breath. What I invoke for myself this day, I invoke on behalf of every person on this planet, the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth, in perfect alignment with each one's divine plan and the highest good for all concerned. I am weaving my gifts, talents, skills, knowledge, strength, courage, compassion, and divine love into the tapestry of the divine plan for the new earth. I am responding to my heart's call, and I am God. In action. I am consecrating my thoughts, feelings, 
words, actions, memories, and beliefs to be the greatest force of love and light I can possibly be on this sweet earth. Every single day, the free will choices I make add to the light of the world and I am co-creating positive changes. Through the focus of my I am presence, I know and accept the following divine truths. I am my I am presence and I am one with all life. I am God's comprehensive divine love. I am God's infinite abundance. I am the harmony of my true being. I am vibrantly healthy and eternally youthful. And I am a peace commanding presence. I have a healing touch and the actions I take every day improve my family, my job, my community, my city, my country, and my world. I am able to communicate intuitively through open heart and mind telepathic communication with my I am present, my Father, Mother, God, the company of heaven, the I am presences of all humanity, the angelic kingdom, and the elemental kingdom. All I have to do is go within and ask my I am present and the beings of light for guidance. Then, in a state of listening grace, I will take the time to listen for that guidance. My purpose and reason for being is to daily and hourly transfigure Mother Earth into the heart-based patterns of perfection for the new earth through my thoughts, feelings, words, actions, memories, and beliefs. And so it is. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved I am that I am. Dear one, contemplate what this information means for you personally and have a blessed week. God bless you and I look forward to being with you next week.
So I love that we are here in Mystery Valley, a mystery because no one knows what happened to the Anasazi. And yet we have so many, we're fascinated by mysteries as humans. We are completely mesmerized and fascinated by mysteries and what happened. And Cryon says that it is no mystery. We've had other civilizations come before us. And yet, we are the first to go past the marker. All the calendars of the Indigenous talked about this marker. It follows the procession of the equinox. It's a 26,000-year cycle, which relates to the wobble of the earth. And the prediction was that should we make it past 2012, we would see the highest consciousness on the planet that has ever happened. So guess what? We are past 2012. Now there's another mystery I want to talk about, and it's the mystery that relates to ghosts. Now Cryon has told us that it's not a mystery at all. It's part of a system because every time we come on the planet, we interface with the crystalline grid of the earth. It's an esoteric grid that was established by the Pleiadians and it's the ultimate recorder of human consciousness, energy and action. So what's the attribute of a recorder? You can go back and play it again. You can play the tapes. And so when we interface with ghosts or those that have passed and we interact with them as though they were still here, we're experiencing the memory that's being recorded on that crystalline grid. And so where we sit today in this very special place in Mystery Valley, we're interfacing with the crystalline grid. We're also interfacing with the consciousness grid, the sentience, the personality of Mother Earth. So we can have sometimes areas on the planet where you have an amplification of energy that is so palpable, we are feeling both the crystalline grid and the consciousness grids of the earth. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Since 2012, the way that the crystalline grid remembers human energy in action has been recalibrated. In certain parts, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere, the crystalline grid is saturated with battles and war, drama, horror. And this is what's being recalibrated so that the grid is going to remember the emotions of compassion, of love, of oneness. And when you have a grid that becomes biased towards those attributes. This is going to be picked up by every child that is born onto the planet. It's Akash interfaces with that crystalline grid. It's being sent a signal of what the grid is vibrating at. So if we are vibrating at a higher rate, those coming into the planet vibrate at that higher rate. Doesn't it make sense that the younger generation will come and bring with them solutions we never even dreamed of or thought of? 
doesn't it make sense that those children will come in and drop the lineage of hatred they have towards their perceived enemies? So this is why we really celebrate this time that we are in at the moment. And this is also why every single action that you take in your daily life, it's being recorded. It's being laid into and imbued into the crystalline grid. So what's going to happen next time when you transition and be born again onto the planet? It's kept there. It's held there. Nothing you've done where you've struggled has to be learnt again. It's already been learnt again. Now we're sitting here on top of a crystalline grid where Lee just mentioned we had healings last time. That energy is imbued under here. So the invitation is we can have more healings or not. It doesn't matter. You are your own captain of your own ship. And yet there is something here that we can all feel and there's going to be people listening in to this channel later. Is it possible to send them the energy that we feel here? I think it is. And I think those that do listen, this is their opportunity connecting in to where we are right now and sending them profound love and energy from ourselves as a collective group and also from the consciousness of Gaia that is present here. Not everyone has access to this beauty of nature and majesty that we're sitting in. They may be in an area that doesn't have this, but they can feel it because we're sending it to them. So let's just close our eyes and send out the deep love that we feel from Gaia to our brothers and sisters all over the planet that they can connect into this moment. As you're sending this energy, anchor your consciousness into this space. Anchor your heart with the heart of this space. The ancient ones, they are a mystery. Are they a mystery for you now? Can you feel them now? Feel them through your heart. Or maybe they never left. Maybe some of their consciousness is still here, speaking to you right now. Listen with your heart. Could it be that they are sitting with you, next to you, above you, all around you, in their hundreds or maybe thousands that have been here, so allied with the earth they have been, with the consciousness of Gaia, Maybe part of them is imbued in these rocks. In this stillness, you can hear them. What do they have to tell you? Listen with your heart. 
Listen with your heart. Breathe deeply. Breathe into the earth. Feel the very soft wind caressing you, loving you. It is all Mother Gaia. Stillness, stillness, stillness is a key to experience higher consciousness. Breathe slowly and deeply. Feel, feel. Feel. Let your minds rest. Let your thoughts go for this moment. For it is sacred. It is sacred. It is sacred. Drop deeper into your heart. Drop deeper into the center of your being. to the crystals that are in your being. What memories come to you now? What lives you had before? What unity can you find now? Who are the ancients? Were you an ancient before? Do you know each other from before? Let those memories and feelings come to you. Let them speak to you. You are an ancient. You have been here for millennia. You have been in other planets for millennia. There is no beginning. There is no end. It's always in a circle, always in a circle, always in a circle. Feel your heart. Feel your heart. Breathe. Greetings, dear ones, I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. Before I speak at all, I ask permission from the ancestors of this valley for an uplifting message of truth that they will resound with. Dear ones, this is, for the listener, a place called Mystery Valley. We are giving this message, which is number seven, in the series called The Monument Valley Tour. 
Some of you may wonder what kind of place we're in because it echoes and the walls resound with the, the sound of our voice. It's an alcove which has a ruin at the top. And the group sits at the bottom against the walls to listen to yet again another message that was given in this very place. Could it be that there are places on the planet that are more conducive to healing and understanding and epiphany than others? And the answer is yes. It's already been mentioned even this day as to why that might be. Because humans leave an imprint on the earth. And it's difficult to explain that. For we have to get into nonlinear concepts, which so many believe are esoteric, and yet they can be proven. When you walk into a battlefield of any kind, where so many have died, there are those who feel the energy and will know something happened there. Even if you don't prompt them to say, well, this is an ancient battlefield, even if you take them for a walk and don't tell them where they are, they'll feel it. Some human beings are more sensitive than others. Some will feel it greatly, some will feel it marginally, some won't feel anything. But the question is this, is what are they feeling? What is the process where a human being could relate to something that happened in a place so long ago? And it happens daily, dear ones, that those would go into a place they didn't expect where something has happened and feel energies and later they find out that was a burial ground or that was a battleground or that was sacred land in the past. And so the object of the lesson today is to tell you that there are things that you don't know that are beyond that which you do. And what you do know and understand so profoundly is the linear existence and reality you live in. One step at a time, day by day, survival, making a living. And yet that is just a piece and a part of what real, actual reality is. It's so interesting to see what your scientists are discovering about multidimensional things. Now they are saying, well, there has to be at least 11, maybe as many as 22 dimensions as you walk around. And yet you're only aware of four. And so this whole idea of multidimensionality is not somewhere else. It's here. It's in the mud that you walked in to get to this place. It's in every cell of your body. 
It's just that your awareness only puts you into four of them. Why do I tell you these things? Mystery. Mystery Valley. Let's talk about the greatest mystery of humanity. The one that all wonder about and none can prove. What really happens when you take your last breath? What is it? The mysteries abound and have through the ages and through the cultures. If you take a look at how this is treated, overwhelmingly you see one single thing that is a commonality. There is ceremony around the passing of a human being. And the ceremony is different for each culture and profound in many. In some, it is even guiding what they do next. Here, there has always been the idea of those that pass will go to a place and eventually will be accessible as the ancestors. Now, this is not uncommon with indigenous all over the planet. It's intuitive as far back as you go. There is the idea that death is not the end of a life. It may be the end of a four-dimensional linear life of a corporeal body that walks around, but it's not the end. And it really doesn't have much to do with religions or belief systems. It has to do with common sense and cultures. My partner took me to a place far away in the southern hemisphere, an island, five hours off the coast of Chile, called Rapa Nui. Some call it Easter Island. And they had their ancients. The Rapa Nui owned the land. They managed the land. And they are very aware of what happened in that place. And if you sit down and ask them, what about all of these odd statues, some weighing 13 tons? And there's over 800 of them that still exist. And the interesting thing is they all face around the middle. They're placed upon the beaches and they face the island. And up to a few years ago, there was the idea, well, they're indigenous. That means they celebrated and worshiped rocks. <laughs> and then they realized that it was a lot more than that, that there was an elegance in that. And then when they talked to the Rapa Nui, finally, and asked them, what is this all about? The Rapa Nui said, these represent our ancestors so that they can continue watching over us and our civilization on this island as they have for thousands of years. Does that sound like anything on this land? 
And the answer is yes. Thousands of miles away, in a different hemisphere, you have the same almost identical idea that when you pass into another place and take your last breath, something grand happens. There's another kind of life. You'll find it even in the ancients that you can go and visit so profoundly. The Egyptians did it. They believe very strongly in the afterlife, not just for the pharaohs. You see in the Egyptian photos and the Egyptian history all that the pharaohs did so that they will go into the next life with the right accoutrements and the, and the right boats and the right weapons and the valuables. But maybe they didn't tell you that even down to the lowest peasant, every Egyptian goes into the afterlife. This is intuitive, dear ones. And the question, of course, remains, what's the afterlife? What happens truly in that last breath? There was a famous illusionist named Houdini. who was so interested in what he called the occult. And he wanted so much to find out how to contact the other side of the veil. He spent a lot of money and hours with those who could talk to the other side and realize that most of them were charlatans and no one really could do it. And so he made an agreement. When I pass, he said to his partner, I'm going to do my best to get through to you. He named the, the times or the, the times of years to try so that they would both be aware. Him on the other side of the veil and his partner in, in 4D here. I'm going to contact you here and there. And I want you to listen because I'm going to really try. And nothing happened. So when you start to ask the question, not only what happens when you go, but can you then in some fashion talk to the ones who remain? And the answer is this, not in 4D, not to make an appointment, not to have a seance, although this will be controversial because many still do. It's not about a time on a clock or, or sitting around a table and then calling someone's name. It doesn't work like that. That is so linear. Oh, but it works. I have given you information in the past about what I call the journey of the soul. To spirit, creator, you your soul is eternal. And whether you believe in that which reincarnates or not, it doesn't matter. Let's say you don't. Let's say you only believe you have one lifetime on the planet. This still works. That your soul is always there, always has been. Perhaps it's as old as spirit itself. 
Perhaps, as we have taught before, it somehow breaks off from the creative spirit and becomes human. But it has always been there. Inside you is a piece of that creator. That's the soul. And when you pass, it then returns to where it was. Now, over 80% of the earth believes this in that they believe in an afterlife. And so almost all the planet intuitively celebrates the passing of a human being into another form of some kind. And this is the lesson of the day. We've spoken so many times, spoken to you so many times about the difference between linear things and nonlinear things. And yet none of you, not one human, truly can put yourself in a nonlinear place. You can say, well, I, I've dreamed there, I've had visions there. But all you've done in that is to watch a movie. You never have truly understood how things can be in multiple places at once. One of the most common experiments in early physics was that of the examination of light itself. Was it a particle? Was it a wave? Then they discovered it could be either. Then they discovered that it reacts to being looked at. Then they realized light itself seemed to know things. Then they realized that it could be in two places at the same time. Then they stopped looking. Entanglement is so confusing to the linear mind. For it speaks of the idea of one thing being in multiple places at the same time. What appeared originally in the experiments as two things communicating over long distances instantly became the understanding of oneness. It's one thing in two places, one on a star far away and one on the earth, being one with both, and therefore there's no communication. They simply are one. That's entanglement. You can't grasp that with the human mind. It's impossible for you to put yourself in that place. What I'm going to tell you this is that the ancestors who are here right now and listening are smiling and they're laughing because I'm talking about them. They have always been in this multidimensional place because of a thing we've told you about the journey of the soul. When you pass from this life, dear ones, you become part of that which is all dimensions. You no longer are restricted to this planet, to this earth. You exist in all dimensions in every single way, and that means that that soul of yours can be in one place, two place, 18, one million places at the same time, or you're one with everything. You want to consider your loved one still in a linear form with their body and their face and their mind and their consciousness and their thoughts and the way they looked. 
But all of that disappears after they leave this planet and they become magnificent. Just like you do when you take your last breath. And that means those ancestors in this valley are exceptionally real. It is not simply a tradition. Long before this modern civilization that you belong to existed, indigenous all over the earth understood this. And the whole idea and the reason was that they could continue understanding the wisdom that didn't leave the earth with the last breath, but continued in this place. There is what we call the crystalline grid, which we have talked about before, and it amplifies this. The ancestors are those which passed and have come back. Now, what makes this extremely complex to most humanity is that you will say, well, if they've come back, how can they then be on the other side of the veil? After all, they're in this valley. And that's when we don't answer. Because you don't know what you don't know. For those who believe in reincarnation, I'll give you the biggest puzzle of all. I've told you that souls come back with an agreement to live with their loved ones, with their children and their grandchildren, and they remain with them to help them and guide them and love them. And those who believe in reincarnation will say, well, yeah, but what happens then? Because I think I know that they've also reincarnated. And the answer is, yes, they have. They've done both. They're in two places at the same time, just like light. Are you confused yet? <laughs> That's the grandness of the multidimensional soul. That's who you are. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to prepare your children with something that perhaps is not taught to you in any place but this place. I want you to look in their eyes and say, there'll come a day when I pass. It doesn't matter how I go. That's just in linearity. What is important is this is that a piece and a part of my soul, which you now know, is going to come back and going to be with you until your last breath. And I want you to feel me. And I want you to talk to me. And I want you to remember me like I'm really with you and I'm really there. And if you start telling your children that, they will make this more real than it is today. For in linearity, it is so difficult for you to imagine this one who has passed coming back and sitting on your lap in another form, not available necessarily in seance, but available personally, intuitively to you every single day. For those of you who've lost loved ones, you already know of what I speak. It's not an imagination. It's not just that which is intuition or hopeful that that person actually might be with you still. 
They are. And they're with you in a way that you can't even imagine. In every single cell, they are with you. And over a long period of time, dear ones, this is how the bulk of ancestry is built. And that is why the ancients can turn to the ancestors as a group, knowing they've all returned in some form of wisdom to help them. To help them and guide them in places like this. Imagine how advanced thinking this is for the ones who dwelt in this valley. And if they could listen now, and some of them can, they still are winking and laughing that at this time in 2019, we are rediscovering something so basic and so advanced and so elegant that they all knew. The ancient ones were advanced in this. They knew how it worked and claimed it and lived by it. And you can too. There are those in the modern age who said, Cryon, they write to me. They say, Cryon, I am in a country where my ancestry is everywhere. I have no real ancestors like the indigenous did with one bloodline. I've done my DNA test and I am everything. How can this work in a modern day? Let me start by this. Do you believe in what I have told you about the esotericness of a soul? That you live after you die. And if you do, then how many past lives do you believe, lightworker, you've had? And in that, how many have you met? How many have you loved? How many children have you had? In those lifetimes, esoterically, not the lineage that you measure with DNA. I'm talking about the esotericness. I will then tell you that how old you think you are, how many lives you think you've had on this planet, old soul, that every single one of those children you've had and loved and the parents you've had and loved are in your DNA now in an esoteric way. There are your ancestors. Did you ever think of that? Did you ever think that each one of you might have your own entourage, your own ancestors, as you walk along the street? It gets complicated. And to some it gets eye-rolling. Because it's not standard, it's not what you were taught. You've all lost people, dear ones, in the last years. Between the time my partner brought me to this valley and today, There have been at least two that we met here that are no longer here of the Navajo. I want you to picture for a moment every single one you've loved and lost, including those two, are right here. 
in a way you cannot imagine or believe or maybe talk to in a linear fashion, but that you can feel. And if they could have a message to you right now, they would say there's more than you think going on on this planet. There's more than you think in the shift, in the involvement of consciousness. And they will say this, there will things will go away sometimes that you thought were so precious. But it's time for them to become one with other things. Things do not stay the same and the wind blows differently in different times. And then they would smile and they would say, we are always with you. We are always here. We are always available, just like you're going to be for your children and your grandchildren. Let them know now. So this will be part of their belief system. Just like it is in this place, on this land, in this culture, when they turn to their ancestors and ask them for guidance and wisdom, and they get it. What happens in your last breath? More magnificence is what happens. It's time for you to celebrate that. And there'll come a time, perhaps, where the courageous won't do funerals anymore. They'll do celebrations. And so it is. And so it is. Thank you, Cryon. Thank you, thank you. We are all servants of peace. So much love is here with all of us, and Mother is too, so greetings, Mother. Of the most radiant one in the office of Christ, and only in the office of the Christ, we invoke the loving energy of Saint Germain and the Violet Flame. We ask at this time for the power of love and wisdom and compassion and divine mercy to be who we are in all things together. As Obama said, yes we can. Don't believe propaganda and lies. Obama didn't take anything at all. 
didn't need to do that. That's Fox News and Friends, but we're going to send them more love, too. So it is, and Mother, okay. Um, well, right off the top of my head, you know, there's a few people that want to shed blood in here, have another civil war. Is that, uh, I thought war was canceled. War is canceled, <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. It is this ancient, ancient souls who are still caught in the old timeline. Hmm. Can't seem to reckon that things have changed. Hmm. New cycle. All we are saying is give peace a chance. Hey, are caught in that automatic feedback loop. Hmm. I can't believe. They're saying this. Who they think is going to go shooting around. Oh, my God. It is. When are those guns going to stop working? Any time now. Good, good. The dimensions are merging, changing with each other faster than we know how to speak about it. And all the family is here, so to speak. Whether it is from the far side of the Delta Quadrant. All the family is here. This is the biggest show in town. It's about our ascension. Hmm. They are a little lost. Trying to make it nice. How you talk about souls. I cry on. Just talked about. The Akashis knows everything. The quantum field and mm, we all are part of this 
grand story of how we bring heaven on earth right now. It is what we've been hearing. Love and compassion are the answers. There's nothing civil about war, is there? No. It is an energy that's out of its space-time continuum. Yes. War happens because of an imbalance in the energy fields. Hmm. It's shifting right now. More and more of humanity here are saying no to war, even though it's being brought up every single day. Hmm. Right now, we are going to a cycle of energies just had the Perseids meteor showers. Please, many visitors coming to this realm at this time. Not just in human form, humanoid form, all kinds of visitors showing up, plasma energy beings that are in this realm to help lift up what's happening. The call has been put out across the local universe. Everybody has answered except these wayward souls lost in the garden, drunk with power. The hmm, powers are gone. Maybe have power of enchantment with their false words. Hmm.
can say about all of this is it's completing itself. This mystery of life. We are experiencing awakening like never before. Like never before. This is the biggest show in town. We'll say it again. Ascension. Yes. Cryon speaks up what this moment when you take your last breath or your first breath. Hmm. It's about this adventure mystery that we've asked to be in the midst of a greatest adventure. Hmm. Ascension is a very big deal. That's what's occurring now. It's a foregone conclusion that we all make it. We can tell you. That's a fact. What has to be played out here is this tremendous healing. As Dr. Greer has spoken about, when you detonate nukes, tears a fabric in the space-time continuum. Not just this civilization feels it. Ripples across the whole spectrum of this local universe. That's why this character here we're talking through keeps telling everyone the captain is here. It's a big deal. When you are playing as these wayward children of ours playing around with loose atoms. It's a nice way to put it. <laughs> it gets the attention of the folks that maintain, keep the stability of this local system and 
the actions being taken here have been noticed. This is why the energies are sky high. The dark side is up against a wall. Nowhere to go except to surrender to love is the answer. How we do this with each other, like His Holiness keep telling us, along with Cryon, Patty, Billy, how many folks have said it? We are all brothers and sisters, goddesses and gods of the Most High, right here, right now, with this story. And we have the ability to change it within ourselves. You just heard them speak about opening the heart. It's the key. How you get from here to space. It's easy once you drop the fallen human ego. Gotta go. A selfless service that is going on. This planet she has gone through many crises and she from our vantage point, we are visitors from your future, mm -hmm. which is our past. Mm -hmm. This is the space, the place where you make the change. It is about having respect love and compassion for each one of us since there's only one of us here mm -hmm. it's that funny saying when you strike the bell the tones reverberate through the cosmos. Uh, what's happening is the sun is striking our bell in us mm -hmm. and raising it up. It may be quite uncomfortable, yet that is about 
getting used to the new energies pouring in. After all, we are a lot bigger than we seem to be in these temples. And whether we're four feet tall, two inches, or 200 feet tall, we're all part of this story and have a vital role to play in it. The issues at hand are about equality and respect for all height, no matter what color species you are. All colors of the rainbow as you would to see this planet like we see it like crying keeps telling us that it is awesome to be whole because we are these shining ones as above so below Gotta remember that when things are getting fuzzy around the edges. The fact that we have a lunatic <laughs> trying to make a toy H-bomb in the basement. Well, he probably didn't have enough fun when he was little. Legos are lots of fun, you know. They are. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. When you are in the mindset yeah. of trying to hold the planet hostage, that's where we get to come in and say, time's up. And that's kind of what's happening right now. Our ancient wayward children want to hold the planet hostage. And they're doing quite a bit of a job trying to hold you all hostage too. With the mind control and the fear and the death. Gotta let it go. My uh, illusion. Love is the answer in this great circle of life. They can't stop it no matter what. No. So... <laughs> Trying to put out useless statements like we need a civil war to bring civility back. Hmm. Bear this in mind. 
We come to free the slaves, no matter where they are in the local universes. There are seven super universes within the sound of our voice. This local universe is in the matter universe. Other six are in antimatter. This story is so ancient about matter, antimatter, anima, animas, primordial energies that make up planets, suns, stars, quasars, quarks. However, Funny name. It's a funny guy, too. It's about how there is this symphony called the harmony of the spheres of how life is brought into manifestation. It is about divine ecstasy, orgasmic ecstasy of the oneness of all that is. That's what the Big Bang was all about. (laughs) And at the same time, here we all are trying to figure out how we fit into this story. And we're going on. We know you got miles to go before you sleep. Stay in the high heart right now. The force is speaking to everyone. You can hear it. Talk to yourselves in this temple of living cosmic orgasmic energy. This temple filled with so many trillions of particles and cells, <sighs> neutrinos. Hmm. How many ways to describe the periodic tables? of elements you don't even have a clue. It's time we learn the basics of how we move from point A to point B with consciousness just like that instead. And What is there to say? World peace now. War is over, mother. As you want it. A real war is inside here, maybe because things look a little funny. And things don't fit. Square pegs in round holes. Mm. 
Hmm. Tesseracts, tetrahedrons, icosahedrons. Hmm. Dodecahedrons. Learn the building blocks of the geometric shapes, the plate, platonic solids. We were taught this in basic algebra, as you can remember. Yet, hmm, I forgot to add the fifth element called love. Hmm. What a mess. All you need is love. It's the key. We better be on our way. Thank you, Mother. Greetings in the light of the most radiant one. Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Shabbat Kadosh, <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. Somebody's tooting their car horn automatically. There you are. Where have you been? Mm. <laughs> wow. Uh, I was on mothership this time, the Nibiru. Oh. Yeah. Um. And where were they all? Oh, all the Peshats are in their various, at their various stations, doing what they got to do to maintain the energies. Where's Mothership at? Um, Mothership is at this time circling the equator. Oh. In orbit around the equator. If you were on the ground, it'd be spoiling over. Oh, it's so hot in the it's kitchen. It's too damn hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's about 
this moment in time when everything changes, I know that the <sighs> I know that the Peshats and Mother are doing what they gotta do to bring this planet into balance and I pass the talking stick. Okay. It's like the calm before the tsunami comes in. That's what I could say. Good, 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 Mother. Yeah. Well, we will shift the energies now and take it away. We're going to, with such a democracy now, there's a bit of nonsense going on around monkey pod and vaccines that we're just going to ignore that part. <sighs> and we'll continue on after that. So just uh, transmute it all. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you, Rama. Thank you, Mother. Just a minute here. I know a more just democratic rule of thought. That's why I support. I support. I support. I support. I support free speech TV. From New York, this is Democracy Now! In our view, there's neither a legally and validly declared winner nor a president elect. Kenya is facing a political crisis after last week's presidential election. The apparent runner-up refuses to concede as more than half the country's electoral commission resigns to protest how the votes were counted. We'll go to Nairobi for the latest. Then to the occupied West Bank, where Israeli forces have raided the offices of seven Palestinian civil society groups. Among the Israeli forces escalated their repressive tactics against Palestinian human rights organizations, including our organization Defense for Children International, Palestine, Iranian office, confiscating material and uh, attaching uh, military order, informing us that our office is now closed and due to Israel uh, listing us as an unlawful organization, also known as a terrorist organization under Israeli law. We'll speak to members of two Palestinian groups raided Thursday, then no tech for ICE. We'll look at why a coalition of immigrant rights groups are suing the data broker LexisNexis for selling personal data to U.S. immigration authorities. Locally and also nationally, organizations fighting for immigrant justice, for racial justice, for privacy rights, and against criminalization are saying no tech for ICE, no data for ICE. All that and more coming up. 
Welcome to democracynow, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Russia's rejected a call by the United Nations to create a demilitarized zone around the Russian-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear power station as fighting threatens Europe's largest nuclear plant. Russia's foreign ministry Thursday called the Russian army's occupation of the site in southeastern Ukraine a guarantee against a Chernobyl scenario, a reference to the 1986 nuclear catastrophe in northern Ukraine. Russia's rejection of the deal follows Thursday's visit by U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres to Lviv in western Ukraine, where he met with the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and the Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Guterres said fighting by Russia and Ukraine near the plant risks a worldwide nuclear disaster. Military equipment and personnel should be withdrawn from the plant. Further deployment of forces or equipment to the site must be avoided. The area needs to be demilitarized. And we must tell it as it is. Any potential damage to Zaporizhia is suicide. Today, the UN Secretary General is visiting the coastal city of Odessa to inspect grain shipments after a UN-Turkey broker deal guaranteed safe passage to Ukrainian ships in the Black Sea. Here in the United States, a federal judge has given the Justice Department one week to make public parts of an affidavit used by federal agents to search Donald Trump's Florida home earlier this month. U.S. Judge Bruce Reinhart ruled Thursday portions of the affidavit should be redacted, but that it was in the interest of the public and the media to unseal the document. The affidavit will provide clues to how the FBI established probable cause in its search of Trump's mar a state where agents recovered 11 sets of classified documents, many of them marked top secret. Federal prosecutors probing Donald Trump's role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol have sent a grand jury subpoena to the National Archives asking for all the documents are provided to the House January 6th committee. This comes amidst reports the U.S. Secret Service failed to inform Capitol Police about a threat made against Speaker Nancy Pelosi until after the January 6th attack was underway. That's according to a new report by the watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington which cited email communications between law enforcement officials around the time of the insurrection. In Texas, the elections administrator of Gillespie County and her entire staff have quit over death threats, harassment, and incidents of stalking after Joe Biden's victory in 2020. Anissa Herrera told the local newspaper, quote, after the 2020 election, I was threatened, I've been stalked, I've been called out on social media, and it's just dangerous misinformation, she said. Donald Trump won the county by a 59-point margin. Here in New York, the Trump Organization's chief financial officer has pleaded guilty to 15 felony charges of tax evasion and other illicit business practices. Alan Weisselberg admitted to a judge in Lower Manhattan Thursday he unlawfully took home nearly $1.8 million in off-the-books compensation from the Trump family business over a number of years. Those rent-free perks included lease payments for a luxury car, private school tuition for his grandchildren, free use 
use of a luxury apartment overlooking Central Park. Under terms of a plea deal, Weisselberg has agreed to testify as a prosecution witness against the Trump Organization when it goes on trial in October. However, he did not agree to directly implicate Donald Trump or members of the Trump family. Weisselberg was sentenced to five months at New York's notorious Rikers Island Jail, where he's expected to spend as little as 100 days behind bars. To date, more than two dozen people from Trump's inner circle have been imprisoned or faced criminal indictment. In climate news, China's deployed cloud-seeding airplanes over drought-stricken parts of the country as hundreds of millions of people endure China's longest heat wave on record. This week, China's Ministry of Water Resources ordered planes to drop silver iodide into the clouds over Hubei province, where prolonged heat has damaged crops and led parts of the Yangtze River to run dry. Similar scenes are playing out along rivers in Europe, including the Rhine, the Danube and the Loire in western France, where this week residents visited dry riverbeds that are normally covered with meters of water. It makes me sad. It makes me sad because I grew up in the village and I've never seen the water like that. Before we could go to the water holes over there with the children and fish because the water was not too hot yet. Now when we go, it's just algae and frogs. All the fish died of the heat or were eaten by the herons. The low river levels have impacted France's 56 nuclear plants, many of which rely on river water to keep their reactors cool. This week, French officials granted an exemption to environmental laws to allow nuclear plants to discharge hot water into already warming local rivers. This comes as Europe's glaciers are experiencing their worst summer melt season on record. Scientists with the European Commission say this summer's extreme drought could be the continent's worst in 500 years. Here in New York, police arrested 10 climate campaigners Thursday as they held a peaceful sit-in protest inside the Manhattan offices of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. The activists are demanding Schumer and other Democratic leaders reverse fossil fuel-friendly concessions in the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act. One provision added to win the support of West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin fast-tracks approval of the Mountain Valley fracked gas pipeline. Another side deal limits public input on major new infrastructure projects while weakening environmental review procedures. This is activist Gigi Neeson of the group No North Brooklyn Pipeline. Making side deals to advance your political agenda with Joe Manchin, who takes more fossil fuel money than any member of Congress. It's undemocratic, unjust, and racist because it'll take public voices out of the decision-making process. The Biden administration says it'll add 1.8 million doses of monkeypox vaccine to the U.S. supply as it struggles to contain the largest ever outbreak of the viral disease outside Africa. Last week, the Food and Drug Administration approved a plan to stretch the vaccine supply by administering one-fifth of a normal dose per patient. Critics say there's limited data showing whether the strategy will be effective. The U.S. leads the world in confirmed monkeypox cases with over 14,000, more than a third of the worldwide total, though disease experts say the true number of infections is likely far higher. Public health data show black men have been disproportionately affected by monkeypox, 
but are receiving the vaccine at much lower rates than other groups. This comes after the head of the Centers for Disease Control is announcing a sweeping reorganization of the CDC. Dr. Rochelle Walensky acknowledged failures in the CDC's response to COVID-19 and promised better communication with researchers and the public. This week, the Biden administration signaled it will stop buying COVID-19 vaccines, treatments and tests as early as this fall. White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha spoke in an event sponsored by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation. Getting us out of that acute emergency phase where the U.S. government is buying the vaccines, buying the treatments, buying the diagnostic tests, we need to get out of that business over the long run. And so my hope is that in 2023, um, you're going to see the commercialization of almost all of these products. Some of it is actually going to begin this fall. In Colorado, a grand jury is investigating a Denver police shooting that left at least seven people injured in July. Recently released body cam footage revealed new details of the chaos that unfolded. Denver police had reportedly previously omitted to report key facts from earlier descriptions of the shooting, including that the man they were pursuing, 21-year-old Jordan Wadi, was throwing away his handgun when police shot him anyway, and that Wadi had raised his hands when police first approached him. Six bystanders who were standing nearby were also wounded. In Tennessee, a federal judge has ordered the coffee giant Starbucks to offer to rehire seven workers who were fired after they led a campaign to unionize a store in Memphis. Since Starbucks workers in Buffalo organized the chain's first U.S. union last year, Starbucks has faced dozens of unfair labor practice charges, including over 200 violations of federal workers' protection stemming from retaliation claims. To see our interview with union organizer Beto Sanchez, one of the Memphis Seven, go to Democracy Now! In Argentina, massive anti-government protests continue denouncing worsening unemployment, poverty, and skyrocketing inflation and living costs. On Wednesday, thousands of workers, union members, and social justice advocates took to the streets of Buenos Aires demanding the government of President Alberto Fernandez increase living wages and do more to address the crisis. Today in Argentina, it is a privilege to eat. In other words, such a fundamental right for families, especially for many women who are heads of household. Today, they cannot even guarantee daily milk for their children. In Argentina, there are many problems. We, from the popular movements, are proposing that we have to move forward with a universal basic wage, an income that would at least put an end to indigence in Argentina. And in Mexico, a truth commission formed by President Andrés Manuel López Obrador has confirmed the involvement of federal and state authorities in the 2014 disappearance of 43 students in Ayotzinapa, calling it a high-level cover-up state crime. The commission also said there's no indication any of the students are alive. Their disappearance sparked international condemnation and mounting accusations of human rights abuses against former President Enrique Peña Nieto. The students' families for years have expressed hope. Some of them had survived, often leading protests where they chanted, you took them alive, we want them back alive. Next month, we'll mark Ayotzinapa's eighth anniversary.
And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Kenya is facing a political crisis following last week's presidential election. On Monday, the chair of Kenya's election commission announced Deputy President William Ruto had won the election after winning 50.5% of the vote. But four of the seven members on the election commission have disavowed Ruto's victory and are critiquing how the votes were counted. The apparent runner-up, Former Prime Minister Rel Odinga has asked Kenya's Supreme Court to challenge the results. The previous announcements of Shibukati are null and void and must be quashed by a court of law. In our view, there's neither a legally and validly declared winner nor a president elect. On Thursday, U.S. Senator Chris Coons met with both presidential candidates as well as Kenya's outgoing president, Uhuru Kenyatta. Coons said he urged Kenyatta to support a, quote, peaceful transition of power. Kenyatta has not yet commented publicly about the election results. On Wednesday, the apparent president-elect, William Ruto, said he plans to move forward on forming a new government. I want to say that uh, this afternoon to ask all of us as leaders in Kenya to learn from the people of Kenya who have settled on the issues. They now want us to deliver on the commitments that we gave the people of Kenya. And I want to say to this team that we do not have the luxury of time to waste. We go now to Nairobi, Kenya, to speak with the Kenyan writer and analyst Nanjala Nyabola. Her new piece in The Nation magazine is headlined, The Kenyan Kakistocracy. What are we supposed to do when the electoral system consistently yields terrible candidates, was the headline. Nyabola is also the author of the book, Digital Democracy, Analog Politics, How the Internet Era is Transforming Politics in Kenya. Yabola begins by writing, quote, if you've noticed an eerie silence coming from the direction of Kenya, it's because many of us are struggling to believe that what the news is telling us has happened. Welcome to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us, Nanjala. Can you talk to a global audience now about this presidential election in Kenya and why so many are questioning the results? I think it's not so much that people are questioning the results, but people are questioning the outcome of the results. And that's an important nuance just because of the history of Kenyan elections. We've had very heavily contested elections for the last 30 years, starting in 1992. Um, and there's always been a reason to doubt the results because of interference by the Electoral Commission, by the people who are in power. And, you know, the one that the, the round that people must, might be most familiar with, the 2007 round um, that led to violence. Um, there's Elections have just always come under a cloud of uh, misunderstanding, misrepresentation, intimidation, um, the Electoral Commission not rising to the occasion, uh, results being interfered with. And so there was a great deal of expectation, really, that um, after six cycles, as I said, beginning 1992, that the Electoral Commission might be able to deliver a result that wasn't uh, shrouded in, you know, uh, lack of understanding or lack of clarity, as it were. Um, I think at this particular point, it's not so much people that are questioning the results, although the opposition certainly is, and it's well within their rights to to question the results if they're not satisfied with them. I think it's the disbelief that after 
um, all of this time, these were the options that were put before voters, and that the person who actually has been declared the winner um, is a person who has such a cloudy history, um, and what does that actually hold for the country? So can you tell us about the two men who are vying for the presidency? I mean, William Ruto has announced he's won. He's the former deputy president. He's also been indicted by the International Criminal Court. And then there's Rela Odinga, who has uh, run for the presidency five times. He got 48.9% apparently. William Ruto got 50.5%. Tell us about each person. Well, both of these men have been in politics for a long time. Um, Odinga is obviously the son of Jarnamul Yubinga Odinga, who was one of the leaders of the independence movement in Kenya, was in politics since uh, 1960, and um, in many in many ways sort of seemed to have been cheated out of his uh, opportunity to rise to power by his chosen ideology. He was a socialist um, and at the time, the 1960s in Africa, in the context of the Cold War and proxy wars, being a socialist was seen as an, as an unacceptable politics in this part of the world. And so there is always this history of um, what would have been if Odinga had been given the chance of sort of going all the way to the 1990s and Raila as his son, inheriting this expectation and inheriting this idea of what could have been if Kenya had chosen a different path. On the other side of the equation, you have William Ruto, who was handpicked for power by the former president, uh, Daniel Torti Moy, the late Daniel Torti Moy, um, sort of groomed into politics um, from 1992 all the way until the present. Both men have been in different political parties um, in the different election cycles, sort of had switched sides from government to opposition, depending on who was in power, have never really gone head to head. In fact, we're on the same side, uh, the same ballot, uh, the ballot in 2007, we're on the same side of the election, um, had a rupture come from the uh, 2007 post-election violence, and sort of have now found themselves on opposite sides. And if anything, the story of these two men really tells a story about how fluid Kenyan politics has been in the last 30 years. But it's very difficult to pin um, issues, and it's very difficult to pin ideologies and individuals, and instead... What we've seen is this elite contestation between all of these groups, um, all of these individuals trying to navigate their personalities, um, trying to uh, sort of grasp for power around each other. Um, both men certainly have a checkered political past. Um, as I said, uh, both implicated in cycles of election violence, uh, different cycles of election violence, um, both implicated in very questionable political choices. Um, certainly over the last five years, we've seen um, what we call the handshake, uh, this compromise between Raila and Uhuru Kenyatta, who obviously was Ruto's boss as president, Ruto's deputy president, um, sort of forcing this realignment between these characters. And long story short is that if there's a, a multiple levels of contestation happening here. There is obviously the personality contestation, but there's also the elite compact and the rupture of the elite compact between these two men. And voters being put in a position where you have to choose uh, between people who maybe don't rise to the standards of of ethics and values that you would want in a national leader. And the fact that William Ruto has been indicted by the International Criminal Court, explain why. Well, in the 2007 election cycle uh, was probably the most hot, hotly contested election in Kenyan history. And uh, in that particular cycle, uh, Reinald Zinga won uh, in terms of we had a parliamentary system, ended up with the most number of uh, members of parliament, and logically you would assume that that would then uh, have him come out as president. Uh, instead, what happened was that there was a 
a lot of questions with the election results, a very sort of uh, ham-fisted uh, effort at uh, altering the results of that particular election cycle, um, and we end up with uh, his opponent being declared president. Um, when that happened in December 29th of uh, 2007, the immediate outcome was people taking to the streets um, in protest, and the reprisals by the police sort of leading into this very tense uh, beginning of 2008 for Kenyans. But then that sort of escalating into violence, and specifically ethnic violence in different parts of the country, shutting down the country, was the biggest political crisis in independent Kenyan history, certainly since 1982, the attempted coup of 1982. Um, and uh, when the crisis happened, the agreement was basically that between the two parties, if they didn't come together and sign a peace agreement, that they would hand over the names of the six people who they believed were most culpable for the violence. Uh, Kofi Annan was the mediator, that he would hand over those names to the International Criminal Court. And they didn't come to an agreement in time, and Annan handed over those names to the International Criminal Court. And so we had a wave of indictment coming down, including William Ruto and former president, now former president, Uhuru Kenyatta. And so it's a cloud that's been hanging over Ruto's politics since then because um, the ICC sort of, uh, according to their assessment of the case, didn't so much annul the case as they stopped proceeding with the case because it was too dangerous for the witnesses. It was too dangerous. There was too much political interference. There was too much um, interference in the background. And that is why the ICC decided not to proceed um, with uh, that particular case. Um, and so it's, it's been a cloud that's sort of stayed, hovered over Rich's political career, but it doesn't seem to have affected his performance with certain constituencies this time around. And I think that's kind of what raises the question about what the future of Kenya is going to look like, which is um, the cloud hasn't gone away. It's still very much present. It's still very much an unresolved question. What does Kenya look like in the aftermath? Has the whole Trump phenomenon in the United States, the insurrection, the violence, the questioning of the election, had an effect on Kenya? If anything, I would say the linearity is in the other direction, because a lot of the practices that we're seeing being deployed in political, the political context of the United States were tried and tested and, and implemented in other parts of the world first, and sort of there's a, a reverse learning that's happening in that particular direction. I give the example in my book about Kim Jinalitika, you know, Kim Jinalitika being involved in the election of Trump and in the manipulation, sort of what we're calling the post-truth politics. Um, well, that's a company that's been active in Kenya since 2011 and was active in the 2013 election in Kenya and sort of refining its social media practices, its social media uh, messaging, framing, etc. in developing countries first before deploying them in uh, developed countries and wealthier countries subsequently. Um, I think that what we're seeing when we see, for example, in uh, former President Trump threatening to run again for president and saying, you know, one of his promises is to um, uh, execute uh, drug dealers. I mean, that is, a, that is something that comes from Duterte in the Philippines and that is an electoral promise that he made, that he ascended into power with that populist vote uh, to execute uh, drug, drug dealers in the Philippines. And so, you know, we tend to have this idea that um, things happen in the West and then the rest of the world learns about and adapts to it. But actually, with the rise of the digital age, it's actually the inverse, that populist leaders are refining these practices in countries that have a less 
uh, stringent legal context and a less stringent civic context. And once the practices are refined, we then get picked up by populist leaders in wealthier countries, um, anti-immigrant sentiments, anti-xenophobic uh, you know, sentiments, and all of these sentiments then become the weapons for populist leaders in wealthier countries. And I think what Trump has done, what the ascendance of Trump has done, really, it's that it's normalized certain rhetoric that if you want a healthy civic space, you wouldn't want that uh, rhetoric normalized. And it's created an opportunity for authoritarian, what I call authoritarian entrepreneurship, um, where people are, 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 we're seeing these alliances forming between these populist leaders because they feel like there's space for an international discourse that really wasn't tolerated um, before the ascendance of Trump. And I think we're seeing, we're going to see, unfortunately, a lot more of that happening down the road. And your term, the Kenyan cacistocracy? It's governance by the worst and governance by the most scrupulous. And it's governance by people who most people wouldn't even be proud to associate with on a personal level, but sort of ceding the political space to them. Um, when you look at the ballot choices in Kenya, we actually had a lot of really great candidates who didn't make it onto the ballot because of the way in which the thresholds, the qualification thresholds are interpreted to disqualify people who maybe don't have the financial resources, maybe don't have the access to government, maybe don't have the you know pedigree, the, the political pedigree that the most known or the most uh, branded, well-branded candidates do, but have ideas and have policies and have a vision of how they want the country to be run. But those people don't make it onto the ballot. And instead, because we're living in this era of misinformation, disinformation, uh, branding the you know politicians as a brand and politics as spectacle and entertainment instead of life or death decision making, it's the people who can play the brand games the best that make it onto the ballot. And to me, that's how you end up with a cacistocracy. Not the people who are the best, but the people who speak the best and who can package themselves the best. Now, Joa, finally, I wanted to ask you about the drought in the Horn of Africa, where the United Nations says more than 18 million people are facing severe hunger. This includes over 4 million people living in Kenya's north. And if you can also address your view of Russia's um, war with Ukraine, uh, we just reported in headlines that the UN Secretary General went to Odessa to to make sure that the grain shipments are allowed to leave the southern port. And of course, that directly links just a few days ago, the first uh, grain shipment to Africa was allowed out. Well, I think there's two separate things that are happening there, even though there is a connection between them. I think in terms of drought, this is the fifth failed rainy season in this region, the fifth consecutive failed rainy season in this region. And that is a question of climate change. And that is a question of compounding what was already a dry area. Uh, most of Kenya's landmass, 67% of the country's landmass is what we call arid and semi-arid, so not quite desert, but not enough rainfall for it simply to sustain a forest or something like that. And because of this continuous, they're coming much more frequently and much shorter spacing between them. The rainy seasons are failing. Food insecurity is certainly a growing problem. And we're expecting, um, if nothing changes between now and the end of the year, for example, uh, people are bracing themselves for a declaration of famine, um, certainly in Somalia, and how that will affect some of the people in the driest and the uh, most precarious regions of the country. I think with the conflict in Russia, the bigger question was people who are dependent on not just on grain imports, but on food, uh, uh, you know, it's food distributions that are coming from especially organizations like the World Health Organization, the food aid organizations. And of course, that has implications for Somalia as well. Um, 
Kenya doesn't import a lot of grain from Russia or from Ukraine. Um, we do import a lot of maize, for example, from Mexico, from Uganda, and from other parts of the world. More broadly, it's food insecurity in the world sort of affecting food distribution everywhere and sort of triggering a kind of, a kind of race for uh, whatever meager supplies um, will come into play. I think for me personally, I'm more concerned, or not more concerned, but certainly concerned about the politics of it all and the politics of using food as a bargaining chip, um, international conflict. What kind of um, future are we setting ourselves up for? What kind of discourse are we setting up ourselves for if we don't actually speak out against this particular practice? Um, because unfortunately, like I, I said in my piece, the world is not in a good place, um, and a lot of issues are going to come up in the next five years. And if we can't get the kind of leadership that prevents this kind of uh, strong arming and, and um, use of food in, in a conflict context, what are we setting? What kind of future are we setting ourselves up for? Nanjala Nyabolo, we want to thank you so much for being with us, writer, political analyst, speaking to us from Nairobi, Kenya. We'll link to your piece in The Nation, The Kenyan Kakistocracy. What are we supposed to do when the electoral system consistently yields terrible candidates? She's the author of Digital Democracy, Analog Politics, How the Internet Era is Transforming Politics in Kenya. Coming up, we go to the occupied West Bank, where Israeli forces have raided the offices of seven Palestinian civil society groups. Stay with us. Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Israeli forces raided and closed the offices of seven Palestinian civil society groups in the occupied West Bank Thursday. Several of the groups report soldiers confiscated items and files before leaving behind notices declaring the groups unlawful. Israel designated six out of the seven groups as terrorist organizations last year, a decision met with criticism from both the United Nations and international human rights groups. Groups raided on Thursday include the human rights organization Ahak. The Adamir Prisoner Support and Human Rights Association, the Bissan Center for Research and Development, Defense for Children International Palestine, the Union of Agricultural Workers Committees, and the Union of Palestinian Women's Committees. 
Israel's crackdown on Palestinian civil society groups has been condemned across the globe. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights condemned Thursday's raids, stating, quote, Israel's disturbing designation of these organizations as terrorist organizations has not been accompanied by any public, concrete and credible evidence, they said. Amnesty International also condemned Israel's actions and praised the Palestinian groups targeted. One amnesty official said, quote, these organizations have contributed enormously to human rights in the occupied Palestinian territories and across the globe. Yet Israeli army boots trample all over their work, Amnesty said. Thursday's raids came 100 days after Israeli forces shot dead Al Jazeera journalist Shireen Abu Akleh as she covered an Israeli military raid on the Janine refugee camp. The Israeli raid also came as the United Nations has condemned Israel for killing 19 children in recent weeks in Gaza and the occupied West Bank. We're joined now by members of two of the Palestinian groups raided Thursday. Brad Parker is with us, Senior Advisor for Policy and Advocacy at Defense for Children International Palestine, one of the groups criminalized by Israel. He's based here in the United States. And joining us from Ramallah is Sahar Francis, General Director at Adamir Prisoner Support and Human Rights Association. Sahar Francis, let's begin with you. Describe for us what took place on Thursday. Hello, and actually yesterday we waked up for the terrible news that the Israeli occupation forces raided uh, Ramallah city and they uh, entered and uh, to the Palestinian seven uh, organizations and they confiscated property uh, and missed the files and broke uh, furniture and they sealed the doors. Uh, of these seven organizations in order to enforce the closure of physically closing all the seven organizations and to implement actually what the military uh, uh, the military commander authorized last year that these seven organizations are illegal organizations and they are not supposed to continue their essential work that we continued actually to implement in the last uh, couple of months uh, uh, to offer the services the usual usual important service that we do for prisoners, for children, for women, for farmers, for patients, and to protect human rights in general, to document all these violations, as you described in your introduction, uh, that takes place on daily basis on the occupied territories, and to uh, uh, advocate and uh, lobby around these uh, war crimes in order to seek accountability. And Brad Parker, can you describe what happened to Defense for Children International Palestine? Uh, so early morning, around uh, 5.30 a.m. yesterday, uh, Israeli forces, there was around 100 soldiers outside of our office um, from the CCTV footage inside the office, you know, dozens of soldiers inside, um, sort of rooting through desks, files, uh, removing a photocopier, a printer, computer, um, client files of, of files of the children that we represent um, in the Israeli military courts. Um, you know, 
as Sahar said, they sealed our door, so physically welded shut the door with um, metal, and then taped a notice to the door um, ordering the closure of the office and essentially um, shutting down or attempting to shut down our activities. Um, now, this follows last year uh, the designation of six Palestinian human rights groups by the Israeli government as terrorists, including both of yours, Defense for Children International and Sahar, your group, Ademir. Um, uh, among those that condemned this, the uh, United Nations, foreign ministries of Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and Sweden. Sahar Francis, what has this meant for your organization? Of course, uh, this Israeli step aimed to silence us and to prevent us from, uh, uh, as I said, offering the services we do and the documentation of the violations. And this support of the international community, whether from the UN side or the diplomatic uh, side, all these states that you named, it just came to confirm our uh, uh, respected work and the professionalism that we are implementing our work and and the fact that all the secret information that Israel claimed that it's the base for their decision uh, uh, this is a proof that this information wasn't sufficient and these countries didn't uh, uh, were not convinced actually that this is a base for the Israeli allegation and this is why they continue to support us and and they issued their statement. So we believe that the Israeli action yesterday came as an answer for such a statement and the rejection from these states for the Israeli allegations. So in, in fact, actually yesterday, Israel sent a message that we are the masters, we are uh, uh, the ones who controls in the occupied territory and decides who could continue or or uh, not in, in uh, the uh, reality on the ground. Um, in July, Democratic Congress member Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts and 21 other Congress members sent a letter to the Biden administration demanding public rejection of the Israeli delegation of Palestinian human rights groups as terrorist groups by Israeli authorities. The lawmakers wrote in part, quote, a reported lack of evidence to support this decision raises concerns um, that it may be a deeply repressive measure designed to criminalize and silence prominent and essential Palestinian human rights organizations. The U.S. must always and consistently speak out against efforts by all countries attempting to undermine civil society and the necessary work of humanitarian organizations, unquote. Um, Brad Parker, has there been any response from the Biden administration? Not as of yet. Um, and I think the Biden administration has been pretty silent um, on the designations and the attempts to criminalize Palestinian civil society over the past 10 months. Um, the usual sort of rhetoric is that they are reviewing the information that the Israeli authorities have provided, um, but they haven't sort of taken a position one way or the other. That was uh, maybe new, with some nuance uh, adjusted slightly yesterday, saying that um, the State Department spokesperson noted that the information so far doesn't suggest that the U.S. would change their position, even though that position has never been articulated um, in an express way. So maybe that's an opening. 
thing. But I think it's also important that you know over the past ten months, you know the 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 conduct by Israeli authorities to criminalize us and criminalize our work is really part of a years-long campaign to delegitimize and, and essentially criminalize the work that we do to expose grave violations against Palestinians, the hands of the Israeli forces, and, and, and the work that we do to hold Israeli officials accountable, whether it's the International Criminal Court um, or you know the lobbying work that we do globally with, with various governments. So I think the you know the letter from Representative Presley, and you know, combined with the various uh, European governments, um, United Nations officials coming out consistently to condemn uh, these repressive tactics by the Israeli government to criminalize our work, uh, says everything that people should know um, that. You know, we are researchers, we are social workers, we are lawyers um, working to highlight the human impact of Israeli policies and Israeli oppression on Palestinians living in occupied Palestinian territory. Earlier this week, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, the former Chilean president, expressed alarm over the number of Palestinian children killed recently by Israel. Over the past 10 days, Israeli forces have killed 19 Palestinian children, 17 in Gaza and two in the occupied West Bank. In a statement, President Bachelet said, quote, inflicting hurt on any child during the course of conflict is deeply disturbing. The killing and maiming of so many children this year is unconscionable, she said. Now, earlier this week, the Israeli newspaper Haaretz reported that an internal Israeli military report has acknowledged that an Israeli airstrike near the Jabalia refugee camp in Gaza killed five Palestinian children August 7th. The youngest child was four years old. During Israel's recent assault on Gaza, Israeli officials repeatedly denied mm. killing Palestinian children. This is Karen Hajoff, the international spokesperson for the Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid, speaking August 6th. Tonight, Islamic Jihad terrorists fired a rocket towards Israel, which fell short inside Gaza, hitting a Palestinian home in the Jabalia neighborhood and tragically killing at least four children. There is video documenting the entire thing. There was no Israeli activity in the Gaza Strip, in that area or at that time. Islamic Jihad is killing Palestinian children in Gaza. Brad Parker, you are with uh, Defense for Children International, your response. So what we've seen over the past 10 years or more is that Israeli forces routinely carry out uh, attacks in densely populated civilian and residential areas where children bear the brunt uh, of those attacks. Um, over the past year um, so far, in 2022, we've documented uh, 20 Palestinian children uh, shot dead by Israeli forces in the occupied West Bank. Um, we documented 17 Palestinian kids killed um, during the latest round of uh, Israeli military offensive in Gaza. Uh, we continue to, to investigate a, a number of those cases, but uh, the case referenced here uh, in the, the cemetery in, in Jabalia is attributed to Israeli forces. Um, and it it, it really is a, a pattern that we see consistently going back, uh, as I said, uh, more than 10 years where um, Israeli forces uh, attack 
and use explosive weapons, targeted strikes, drone strikes, um, where it there's complete disregard for international humanitarian law and the rules of war for who can be targeted. Um, and, and we constantly are documenting cases of uh, Israeli forces killing Palestinian children, um, whether excessive use of force, disproportionate use of force, or intentionally targeting civilians, including children, um, that amount to war crimes and, and just complete disregard for international law. Sahar Francis, um, you're general director at Adamir Prisoner Support and Human Rights Association. Um, you recently were denied boarding in Israel for a flight that was transiting through the United States to a meeting you were trying to attend in Mexico. Do you have any information about why you were barred? Are you on some kind of blacklist? Actually, this is, was very shocking at that time when I was banned boarding to the airplane without even explaining to me in real time why I was not allowed while I had a valid visa to the United States uh, till April 23. And then uh, I tried to figure why, uh, why I was banned, actually. And several uh, months after, just... Uh, in June, I get a response uh, that my visa was cancelled, again, without explaining actually why uh, my visa was uh, cancelled. Uh, and uh, I think it's totally related to the fact uh, that what we are facing as an organization, uh, uh, the allegations from the Israeli side, and actually the silence of the uh, U.S. on the uh, official uh, position against this uh, designation of the organizations could be one of the reasons for such practices against the individuals, against myself, against other colleagues that they would be banned travel outside of the occupied territories or other harassment and threats and intimidations that we can face as human rights uh, defenders because of this uh, Israeli attack against the organizations. Um, earlier this month, the European Union, with a majority vote, decided to unfreeze up to $215 million in funds for the six Palestinian groups, like Ademir, um, that had been designated by Israel as terrorists. There's so many countries the United Nations have condemned this designation. Um, do you know what's happening with this money? Uh, actually, Domir, specifically, we are not uh, getting uh, direct fund from this uh, fund, but I would believe that the commission with the uh, local office of the EU would be responsible for maintaining and continuing the projects that uh, uh, some of the six organizations were involved on because uh, it's really there's uh, no basis, no clear evidences against the organizations that can justify what was uh, the freezing the projects that were implemented and it was politi much politicized from the side of the EU at the first point to uh, suspend the projects with these organizations. And finally, your organization is currently working to stop administrative detention, which enables the Israeli government to detain anyone based on secret information. How many people are held in this condition? And will the fact that the Israeli military raided your offices where you have your legal cases, does that compromise the work you can do? 
Definitely, it will compromise the kind of legal services that we can offer for the administrative detainees and for the other uh, Palestinian political prisoners we are representing in front of the military courts, the Israeli military courts. Uh, currently, there's around 700 administrative detainees. Uh, some of them, they are children. Some, they are sick people that they need uh, urgent health treatment while in administrative detention. And at least one person, Khalil Awadi, is in more than 150 days of a hunger strike and their immediate threat to his life where Domir, where in the last couple of days, with the uh, support of the other colleagues from the human rights organizations, uh, uh, issuing urgent appeal to release him and trying to lobby on his behalf to be released under these circumstances. Sarah Francis, I want to thank you for being with us. General Director at Ademir Prisoner Supporting Human Rights Association, speaking to us from Ramallah, from the occupied West Bank. And Brad Parker of Defense for Children International Palestine, both groups raided by Israeli forces on Thursday. Next up, no tech for ICE, a coalition of immigrant rights groups, is suing LexisNexis for selling personal data to U.S. immigration authorities. Stay with us. Nexus 
and how they're getting rich off of the backs of community members by aggregating and selling our personal information that can then lead to detention and deportations. And I want to share that here in Cook County, Illinois, we are talking about various organizing and legal efforts that are happening to put a data broker like LexisNexis on notice. This lawsuit also follows an important hearing last month. Last month, the Cook County Commissioners, spearheaded by Commissioner Alma Anaya, held the first hearing of its kind that we know of in the country that was investigating the local repercussions of this LexisNexis contract that we're talking about, of this $22.1 million contract. So investigating the local impact of this contract, of ICE contracts with other data brokers, is really important. And so during this hearing last month, the county had an opportunity to hear public testimony, uh, witnesses, expert witnesses that spoke about digital loopholes yeah. for sanctuary cities. I wanted to go, Cynthia, to the Cook County meeting you were talking about, the recent hearing on the repercussions of ICE contracting third-party data brokers like LexisNexis, the Cook County Board of Commissioners hearing from immigrant justice advocates and community members like Michelle Garcia, a member of the Illinois Coalition of Immigrant and Refugee Rights and Access Living. She said she used LexisNexis to search her own records and found dozens of pages of personal information on herself, family members, even other people who lived in her same apartment complex. This is what she said. LexisNexis collected 43 pages of information about me, my family, and my acquaintances. It was extremely disturbing, scary, and overwhelming to see everything in writing that they have collected about my life as a Cook County resident. This information being in the hands of a third party like LexisNexis and then potentially in the hands of ICE, puts my loved ones and other community members at risk. I have the privilege of uh, citizenship, but if I were one of millions of undocumented people living in the US, ICE could find me within a matter of hours by searching through a report like mine. ICE is still free, has free reign to go after anyone they believe is deportable. So that's Michelle Garcia, member of the Illinois Coalition. Um, how does LexisNexis get this information? And of course, it goes way beyond the immigrant community in the United States when you're talking about 250 million people. Um, what are LexisNexis products? What are people using that tracks them? That's right. I think one way that you can think about LexisNexis is a one-stop shop. They're a one-stop shop for data points like addresses, phone numbers, license plate information, your social media information, but also things like medical history, credit scores. Um, Michelle also spoke during the press conference about having information on her neighbors, right? The list can go on and on. And so we want to be clear that here we're talking about mass surveillance. Tabs are being kept, as you're sharing, on immigrant communities, communities of color, on protesters. And at the end of the day, this is affecting us all because this is happening without consent, it's happening without people knowing, without a warrant or a subpoena or a court order. And I also want to share that this is all really informed by research, right? We saw a Freedom of Information Act request earlier this year that revealed how nationally ICE agents ran over 1.2 million searches in the LexisNexis database 
over a seven-month period. And it's really important to understand that these searches are happening through ERO, Enforcement and Removal Operations, which is the division of ICE that focuses on arrests. And as we shared, I live here in Cook County in the Chicagoland area, where the local Chicago field office ran, just themselves ran over 13,000 of these searches. Um, no tech for ICE uh, immigrant justice advocates first exposed the multi-million dollar contract between LexisNexis and ICE in Colorado through a FOIA that revealed the corporation was giving ICE access to real-time jail booking data from sheriff's offices in the state of Colorado. Explain the significance of this and why it puts so many people in danger. Definitely. So before Cook County held this hearing, Colorado was the first place where we're seeing that it was named publicly by community that ICE is circumventing local sanctuary protections by contracting with developers such as LexisNexis. So folks from the Colorado Immigrant Rights Coalition and other organizations in Colorado and Kenta joined these groups to expose an ICE contract from July 2021 that confirmed what we had been seeing and hearing, right? And so this was breaking news because in this contract language, it is explicitly stated that ICE is contracting with data brokers like LexisNexis to go around sanctuary protections. And this is happening through LexisNexis aggregation of public and commercial data, and also, as you mentioned, real-time jail data. For many years, right, people have fought really hard and organized for sanctuary and welcoming protections. These policies that prohibit or seek to prohibit information sharing and cooperation between law enforcement and ICE. But now we have this $22.1 million contract with LexisNexis that is providing backdoor access to people's information and going against the spirit of sanctuary protections. So Colorado was the first place to speak about this. We have five seconds. And we know that local organizing is going to continue to close these digital loopholes and make it easier for ICE to detain and support our people. And we will continue to follow this. Cynthia Rodriguez, national organizer with McKente, working on the group's No Tech for ICE campaign. That does it for our show. Democracy Now! currently accepting applications for people and culture manager. Learn more and apply at democracynow.org. Okay. Real quick now. This is a meditation. And this is our... Our best friend, Billy Carson, here. And this is the Merkaba Guided Meditation by Billy Carson. All right, Grand Rising. How y'all doing this morning? The chat is filling up already. I like to see that people are already here trying to get this meditation in, uh, which is exactly what we need. All right, and uh, I have a lot of, okay, I got that, yeah, okay, great, wow, I see people here from all over the world, amazing, amazing, looks good, I am uh, excited about this meditation, this is a Merkaba meditation, and uh, <clears throat> I'm going to talk a little bit about the Merkaba first before we get started. And I'm going to uh, set one more thing up here. Give me one second, guys and gals. 
Okay, we got that working properly. That's good. Give everybody one more minute to wake up and get in here. Oh, Hono says on the on a trip from Arizona to Vegas. Wow, amazing. Wow, everybody here from all around the world. Australia's even in the house. Amazing. New York, everybody. Missouri. Los Angeles. All right, fantastic. Okay. Um just put on my my 5G hat. I got like eight cell phones on my desk over here. So I'm working on a project that requires a whole lot of uploading for different social media platforms. All right, I think we have enough time now. We should be able to get started. We have enough people in here. Um, I didn't send out a text message this time because I was just curious to see how many people have set an alarm on their own. Um, just you know, doing a little experiment just to see how many people were going to actually get up uh, through an alarm for their own self to get on the meditation. Um, the meditations are previewed, so they're locked in advance so that you can actually set the reminder bell. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to this channel and put on the notification bell so you can get a notification when we do go live. But again, the good thing is that um, the meditation is automatically saved on YouTube now, so you can just go back and watch it as many times as you want to. All right. <clears throat> so without further ado, let's get into this macabre meditation. Let's see here. I'm going to go ahead and uh, share my screen. <clears throat> Where is that tab at? <clears throat> mm -hmm. Chrome tabs. Window. Okay, one second. Yeah, that is it there. And let's share this. This is the atomic structure of gold. This is the fundamental basis behind the most incredible configuration in the entire universe. It's the Merkaba. And so you can see that at the atomic level, we're talking about, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the most smallest things that you can look at under a microscope. Obviously there are some things smaller than atom quarks and, and such, but in terms of what we understand as basic physics, standard physics, uh, atoms are extremely tiny. And you need a, a microscope, a special kind of microscope, actually, to look at them, preferably an electron microscope. But when you look at the gold uh, AU, which is on the elementary chart, this is what it looks like. It's actually a star tetrahedron. Amazing. Gold has a lot of uh, benefits to it. I don't know if, if you knew uh, about this, but in ancient times, if you look at if you read the ancient tablets, you find that civilizations very long ago from another place came to this planet to mine this planet for resources. And one of the one of the top resources were gold. And that's why we attribute so much value to gold. <clears throat> it's not because it's a rare element, because it's not rare, actually, to be honest with you. The earth produces gold, just like the earth produces oil. Oil is the blood of the earth. But what happened was these uh, 
these people that uh, we 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 willingly helped mine this gold because we thought that they were our gods and things like that, cargo cults. It's well documented in ancient text. Um, they were using the gold for technological purposes, and we were using the gold for they let us use the gold for adornment. So they gave us the attribution that gold had monetary value and adornment value, <clears throat> so that we can continue to um, to work it for them. And that way, and by that mean, they assign value to it. <clears throat> so basically, um, you know, we, we we still now to this very day attribute uh, adornment value and monetary value to gold. But if you look at the sciences, if you look at astrophysics, and you look at rocket science, and you look at space technology. You discover that what we're using gold in mostly everything. Gold cannot you you cannot have a space agency without gold. You need gold to um, create um, the different types of circuit boards that need to be used. <clears throat> you need gold to reflect radiation. You need gold uh, to uh, can make the connections between microchips and microprocessors. It's a very good conductor of electricity. <clears throat> and so uh, if, you know, if you have a wire made of pure gold and you put electricity in on one end and measure the output on the other end, you're going to find the same uh, amount of cu uh, current being carried from throughout the entire wire. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys, I got to drink a little water. If you don't do that, <clears throat> if you take um. If you take another wire, like, for example, maybe a copper wire, and you put in, input electricity on one end and you measure the output on the other end, you're going to find that you won't get the same exact amount of current. And the reason why is because you're going to lose current due to friction. But in gold, whatever you get put in, you get out. 100% of what you put in, you get out. This is why, you know, one of my greatest products on my website is the monatomic gold water. You drink that water and it speeds up the electrical processes in your brain by inserting all of these uh, AU uh, atoms in a way that uh, these, you have you have literally millions of Merkabas inside of your skull uh, moving and helping to transport information at a much higher and faster speed. Also transport healing to different parts of the body. It's on my website. It's the... Uh, it's the uh, gold water that I sell there. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> boy, I tell you, my ass is stacking up a little bit today. <clears throat> History has talked about the Merkaba mostly as the vehicle that allows a person to ascend or descend into higher or lower worlds. But actually, the Merkaba, or if you read it right, it's Merkaba, is much more than just a vehicle of ascension. It can really be anything. Since its primal pattern is created uh, in all things, in all universes, both visible and invisible. You can find out more about that in the ancient secret of the flower of life, volume one and two. You know, I like to provide resources. In the Bible, there's a reference to Ezekiel and the wheels by which Ezekiel ascended into heaven. <clears throat> remember, remember, Ezekiel <clears throat> was actually abducted. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, by aliens. In my opinion, I think that's what happened. If you read the book of Ezekiel, you discover that uh, these people came down and they actually put him inside of a ship and took him away. And if you really um, analyze the information, 
you know, if they came down in a in a Merkaba and counter-rotating tetrahedron style with other technological pieces added onto it, and they lifted him off and they took him to meet this master who gave him specific instructions on what to say to the people of Israel. And then he had those same people transport him in the Merkaba to that land to deliver the message. One of the earliest accounts of an abduction <laughs> in, uh, in history. And so it's pretty interesting there. <clears throat> so one meaning is chariot, which is a vehicle. The other is throne of God. And when the two definitions are combined, the true meaning comes to life. In ancient Egypt, this primal pattern was called the Merkaba. It was also called by three words, not one. Mer meant a kind of a light that rotated within itself. Ka meant spirit. And in this case, referring to the human spirit, Ba meant the, the human body. Though it could also mean the concept of reality that the spirit actually holds, or what is actually encasing the spirit into the avatar body is the Ba. And so the entire word in ancient Egypt referred to a rotating light that could take the spirit and body from one world into another. And ironically, like I said before, the atomic structure of gold in the geometric shape is in the geometric shape of a star tetrahedron, <clears throat> which is pretty amazing. Being that it's like one of the highly, high, most highly sought after elements. So um, just a little history lesson, just a little tidbit there <clears throat> on gold. Now, today we're going to do a Merkaba meditation. And uh, this is going to be 11 minutes and 11 seconds. <clears throat> this, now, you can put this on loop. You can play it back however you want to do it. But what's interesting is a couple things are going to happen. The first thing is, as we get into our breathing pattern today, you know, 8 to 10 seconds inhaling, 8 to 10 seconds exhaling, we're going to get to a great breathing pattern. We're going to see that bowl in our mind, and we're going to begin to empty that bowl of thoughts by envisioning a hand reaching into our mind and removing the thoughts. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> we're going to, once we get our thought patterns down, once we get the thoughts reduced and the chaos reduced in our mind, we're then going to envision a star tetrahedron, a counter-rotating star tetrahedron, two intersecting pyramids, one up, one down, creating a star, one spinning one way, one spinning the other way. That is going to be your macabre. If you envision it in your mind, it's yours. It's the one that your consciousness has created specifically for you. <clears throat> and so you're going to walk over and you're going to get into the macabre. So I'm going to guide the beginning of the meditation here. Of course, I have to clear my throat first. <laughs> and then... Um, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into this Merkaba meditation. Okay. <clears throat> so let me clear my throat for a second because <clears throat> this is getting a little annoying, but every now and then, maybe twice or three, maybe three times a year, my asthma acts up just a little bit. <clears throat> and I got an increased amount of colloidal silver that I drink every day from one tablespoon to three. And that usually clears it up for me. But, um, I feel like I'm good to go now. So we're going to get started on this Merkaba meditation. And uh, make sure your speakers are plugged in, your earbuds are on, or at least that you have the sound up as we get into this. 
and focus on your breathing. So we're looking at a tesseract in the flower of life. The Merkaba is encased into the flower of life. And we want to focus on our breathing. We want to inhale eight to 10 seconds, exhale eight to 10 seconds, taking very deep, strong breaths, breathing in the prana and exhaling the chaos. As you get into your breathing patterns, you want to start to see a bowl in your mind and just envision a hand reaching into that bowl and removing all of the thoughts, taking all of the thoughts out of your mind, removing them, getting rid of the chaos, getting rid of the entropy. Clearing the mind and focus on synchronicity between the brain and the heart, brain-heart coherence. As your mind is being emptied and your brain and heart are aligning and you're focusing on your breathing, I want you to start to envision a star tetrahedron, counter-rotating star tetrahedron, a Merkaba, a light vessel. That is actually your light vessel projected holographically from your own consciousness, specifically created just for you, resonating to your avatar frequency. At some point when you're consciously ready, step into that star tetrahedron, step actually inside of it, and once you're in synchronicity with the counter-rotating field, the torus field, you will begin to lift off. Just let it take you, let it take you where it wants to take you. Allow yourself to feel that shift in movement within the frequency and allow yourself to lift off. Allow the Merkaba to take you on a trip.
Okay, guys, that was the Merkaba meditation. Let me stop sharing my screen here. Mm. And get back into the studio. That was the uh, 11 minute, 11 second version of a Merkaba meditation now. In classes that I teach, um, I would do this meditation for at least 30 minutes minimum and sometimes as much as an hour and a half, sometimes even two hours. Uh, so the beautiful thing about this is that you can stream this on YouTube for free. You can play it on your Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, whatever music platform you have, and you can put it on a loop and auto replay. And so you can go as long as you want. You can replay it for hours if you need to, but it's a great meditation. Uh, I know that when I did this live for 30 minutes in Egyptian mystery school that I taught at Dame Dash Studios in 2019, uh, we had people coming out of the experience with a lot of great um, insight. And also after 30 minutes, realizing that they really had, you know, had traveled somewhere. One, one person jumped up and said that they felt like they came up out of the ocean, uh, which is pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, just an amazing thing. So the Merkaba meditation, it's another one of the meditations that you can do. You know, every week we try to do something different. This week is the Merkaba. Last week it was the, uh, I think it was a gong bath. The week before that we did the, um, uh, what we do the week before that? We probably did the Om, 111 Om chants. Um, so every week I try to give you guys a little something different in terms of a meditation. Uh, I appreciate all the great comments that I've seen in here. I, I thank you, and I love every single one of y'all. I saw somebody in here that was dropping some negativity and some negative comments, and I know I don't talk about Jesus, that I'm too smart for my own good. Well, you know, that person should just start a platform where they want to talk about Jesus. This you know, On this platform, we're talking about spirituality and reality. Um and the person's name that he's referring to, the name wasn't even Jesus anyway. The name is Yeshua. So at least if you're going to rec- if you're going to recognize somebody, call them by their real name, and uh, give them the respect on their name that they deserve, because the name Jesus actually doesn't even exist. It's a fabricated name. But anyway, Yeshua was a great man, and I do mean man as in M-A-N. And uh, when he uh, if you read the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, you discover that when he disappeared from the modern-day Bible um, at the age of 12, he then made his way into Egypt, where he began to learn the Egyptian mysteries. And he studied the Egyptian mysteries, which were taught by Thoth, the Atlantean priest king, known to the Egyptians as the one of the top Netiru. And after he left Egypt, he went to Tibet. And this can be confirmed by the Dalai Lama. They have the original text of him arriving in Tibet. He went to Tibet to learn the mystic arts. He went to Tibet to learn Reiki healing. He went to Tibet to learn Qigong. He left Tibet and went down to India to perfect uh, the mystic arts teachings and understandings. All the way teaching reincarnation the whole way back. And then he shows back up in the Bible writing in on the, well, God calls his son out of Egypt because he can, he makes his way back to Egypt. And then he shows up in the Bible riding on the back of a donkey. So you see, I know a lot about Yeshua. Uh, he was taught by Thoth, also known as Tehudi, Jehudi, Tehudi, Quetzalcoatl, Lord Pakal, Kukul Khan, Wang Di, 
many, many names. Mercury, Odin. Um, he was uh, known all around this planet, Thothamabi in Australia. He's a global phenomenon and the original builder or the original architect, I should say, of the pyramid structures around the entire planet. And that he started the very first mystery school where he would only have adept initiates invited in. And Yeshua was one of those adept initiates. When I, The last time I was in Egypt, I went to the house of Yeshua where he actually lived with his mother. And it's a shrine now because the original bed that he used to sleep in is still there. I'm going back in a few weeks. I'm going to go spend almost a month there. I'm leaving on August 29th. I'll be back at towards the end of September. And I'll be taking another visit to Coptic Cairo to visit that house once again and document it this time in 4K. And uh, the cross, the symbol of the cross existed long before uh, crucifixions even existed. The symbol of the cross has to do with a planetary crossing. And it's well known in Coptic Cairo, the origination of uh, the beginnings of monotheistic Christianity, which had nothing to do with following Jesus Christ, but actually following an ideology that only one God existed. <clears throat> so it's a lot more deeper than what the gentleman was trying to refer to. And uh, if he thinks I don't know anything about uh, my books, I can I, I assure you I'm a super expert on all of this and have been for a very, very long time. And so anytime you want to know information, instead of making accusations, just ask. And I'll be more than happy to share the truth with you and give you the sources to back it up. By the way, the Gospel of the Holy Twelve costs about $1,300 to $1,400 because it's the, the book is no longer in publication. And so you can only get used copies of it. Sometimes you can find a good used copy, you know, for uh, only a couple hundred dollars. I like to have mint condition copies of my books if I can find those. So I spent the full price on the text. You can also find the, um, the PDF online. I just don't trust online PDFs because they're open to editing. I do like to get my hands on actual publications uh, before I, you know, use anything or quote anything from text or information. Uh, but yeah, drafts below the Holy 12. Uh, <laughs> it uh, will enlighten you to a point where you may not even want to go. Uh, but facts are facts, and we can't run away from them. We're in the age of information, so now ignorance is actually made up by you. It's your own excuse, your own excuse for not learning and wanting to grow as a person, as a human being, as a spiritual being that can connect directly to source. We don't need a middle man to connect directly to the divine spark. But why? Because the divine spark is already inside of us. In order to get to heaven, you need to travel to inner space. There's nothing externally that's going to save you. There's no external being. There's no external deity that's going to come and rapture you away to this divine heaven. The only way to get there is through going inside. And when you go inside and you access and go to the inner space where the true spark of divine source energy is located, then and only then when you discover that heaven is already inside of you. Hell is already inside of you as well. Hell was added to the Bible by the Roman Catholic Church as a as a location on the exterior. But hell is a state of mind. Heaven is a state of mind. And our mission is to bring heaven to earth by going inside and fixing ourselves internally. And then what happens on the inside manifests on the outside. 
if you look at the nature of the world today and you look at the chaos, you look at the uh, the wars and the um, genocide that's happening right now, as I'm speaking, people are being killed in the streets all around the world. Primarily right now in Africa, it's going crazy. Um, you look at the the consciousness of the people on the planet, the combined co- collective consciousness. And you find that what's going on inside of the collective consciousness, inside the avatar bodies, is what's manifesting on the outside, spilling over to the outside. If you have a, a house that is junky, if your office is junky and messy, if, if your car is disgusting and filthy and junky, what's happening is on the inside of you, you have a lot of chaos, you have a lot of anxiety, you have a lot of um, uh, entropy going on inside. And it, it fills up inside the body to the point where it spills over into your exterior surroundings. So what we see happening on the outside world is just a reflection of what's going on inside. And so when you take the collective consciousness on the planet and you, um, you, you, you can analyze collectively what's going on inside uh, the human body on an average basis per person by looking at the exterior uh, of, of what the world looks like right now. And that will give you a picture of what's happening inside of us. So when you see when you when you begin to see peace spread through the planet, when you begin to see unconditional love spread through the planet, that means more people are becoming conscious to the point where they understand the real fundamentals, the hermetic principles are being enacted really in their lives and they're becoming better people. And as we gradually become better people and more conscious, you'll start to see a lot of these wars and these and these tortures and these politics and everything else. You start to see those things dissipate. It just takes time. So it's a a long-term battle. It's not something that is going to happen overnight. But little by little, gradually, it'll happen. And so we have to be mindful and understand that each each and every one of us is taking part collectively in in this, um, this mass global awareness that is either going to showcase the unconditional love that's happening inside of us, or it's going to showcase the turmoil and the uh, and the pain and the agony and the fear and the ignorance that's happening inside of us. <clears throat> and so right now, when you look around the world, unfortunately, mostly we're seeing a lot of the, uh, the lower frequency vibration. Gradually, what we are seeing, though, is it beginning to change as people are seeking more conscious information, trying to become more spiritual and direct connect directly with the divine. And as people are beginning to start to come on meditation Mondays and global meditations and do meditation in their own time and seek wisdom and knowledge on their own and read books and buy books on their own, you know, uh, and for the purpose of research and investigation, for the purpose of gaining more knowledge of self, you know, so we're on a path, uh, and I think we're on a path that can't be stopped. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Right now, that snowball is very small compared to the global consciousness. But as it continues to move down the hill, it's gaining mass, and it is getting bigger. And eventually, it's going to be uh, a phenomenal place. We're going to he- head into a golden age. It may take some time. And a lot of us are planting seeds that are going to grow into massive, massive trees with huge shade, huge shade trees. But we'll never sit in the shade of those trees because by then we will already be back in the reincarnation cycle. And 
when you reincarnate, don't think that it means that you're going to come back in a future time. Because uh, time is an illusion. Clocks exist, but time doesn't exist. Only clocks exist. And so what that means is um, you can come back in a past time. You can come back in a present time. You can come back in a future time. And you can come back even in a different uh, region of the universe. And it doesn't mean that you can always come back as a male or a female. You can come back as a different gender, a different race. Uh, so, you know, be aware of people that bash races because karma is a very strange thing. You could come back as a race of a person that you used to bash so that you can experience that pain, so that you can learn from that pain. So we have to be mindful of everything we do and everything we say, and we have to be mindful of our own ignorance a lot of times because we have to realize that uh, we think, once you think we, you, you know, you, you've done everything and then you realize that you haven't even read more than 50 books. You know, you have to say to yourself, well, I, I got a lot more to go. You know, yeah, but even I have a lot more to learn. <clears throat> I have three full passport books full of stamps full. I'm working on filling up my fourth passport book. <clears throat> and that means that I'm traveling the world to study and research and learn. I'm heading out of here on Thursday to Athens, Greece. And I'm going to spend a couple of weeks in Greece learning, learning about Athena, learning about the ancient Greeks and how their ties are to the Anunnaki, making my own synchronistic um, you know, theories come to life and seeing what works here, what works there, getting some homegrown archaeologists to talk to and some homegrown guides to talk to to get their side of what they've been taught or the verbal histories that have been handed down. And then I'm going to sail over to Santorini and take a bus over to Akrotiri, one of the oldest, most ancient uh, Atlantean civilizations that were buried by volcanic ash, which is now being dug up. So I'm going to go on an archaeological dig site for a few days and spend some time there documenting the dig, documenting the site, documenting the technology and the building structure techniques and analyzing it so I can make my comparisons to other ancient civilizations uh, that had the capabilities of building megalithic structures that were imbued with advanced technology. So I can see if there's a connecting link, verifying these things for myself, not going off of what somebody said in, in back of a pulpit, not going off of what somebody said on a TV uh, show, not going off of what somebody, a friend or a relative told me since I was born. But I like to go out there and get the truth for myself and come up with my own conclusions. And then I take my conclusions and I share them with the world to the best of my ability. <clears throat> and I think that everyone should um, should follow suit. You know, one of the biggest things that um that I've discovered along this path of enlightenment is when you're young, you hear a voice in your head. And because of the way you've been programmed to think, you're thinking that it's an outside voice coming in to talk to you. Once you go on a spiritual path of enlightenment, that voice begins to morph. And after many, 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 many years and probably tens of thousands of meditations and countless hours of flying to these ancient sites and meeting with people and sitting in the Holy of Holies and meditating inside the Holy of Holies in Egypt and and, uh, and, and underground crypts and all these places that I've been with all these high energy you know, frequencies and coming to my own conclusions 
the voice has morphed now into realizing that the voice is actually my own voice. And I think that that voice will be your own voice for every individual person. That the voice that you've been hearing in your head the whole time that you're that you're uh, um, attributing to an exterior entity has actually been your own voice the entire time. And when you grow and, and, and mature into a higher level of consciousness, when you become an adept initiate and you begin to understand the intricate workings of how consciousness works and how ascension, the ascension process works, and you begin to raise your consciousness into a 5D realm, you then realize that it's been you talking to yourself the entire time. Because the same divine spark that created everything in this universe is in every atom in your body. And so so you yourself are actually divine. You yourself are actually a fractal of God. And so the power is already in you. And so I just want to leave you guys with that word. <clears throat> I'm actually thankful that that gentleman was leaving that, spewing that neg- negativity in there to give me the insight to come in and, and talk on this for a quick moment. And uh, I want everyone here, here to have a fantastic, phenomenal week. I want you guys to uh, focus on positivity, focus on uh, changing yourselves. I learned something from Robert Edward Grant when I did my podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. It aired last week on my podcast platform. He said, see the change you want to be in the world. And instead of be the change, he said, see the change. He, he switched it up, a little tweak on it. And what he was saying was that we first must see it to actually create it because we manifest our reality. We literally manifest it. So if we're manifesting our reality, we want to see and envision the change because on the consciousness platform, Just like you have all these platforms, you have the social media platforms, you have video platforms. Well, the original platform, the OG platform is the consciousness platform. And on that platform, whatever you think of becomes reality in the other dimensions. So to see the change first, to become uh, the person that helps to create the reality and then step into the reality. So you see it first and then you step into it, thereby manifesting it. So I see this planet as becoming a heaven on earth. I see the people as becoming people filled with unconditional love. And hey, I see people as becoming more educated in the ancient mysteries and the ancient arts and the ancient ways and the true spiritual knowledge. I see people falling away from religious dogma and finding their own direct connection to the divine. I see it. And so I just continue to put the energy behind what I see. I'm stepping into and walking in uh, in that in that moment every single day and little by little gradually it's happening everywhere so just be a part of the actual manifestation and uh and instead of stepping out and watching it and then trying to be a part of it but actually seeing it happen first in the mind living it in the mind if it's its reality just like in my manifest destiny workshops that i've done in my classes i teach people to do a manifesting um meditation which we're going to do next week it'll be a manifesting meditation And in the manifesting meditation, whatever it is that you're trying to acquire, you actually believe it's already done. And in your manifestation meditation, you're living in that moment of whatever it is. If it's a house, you're in the house. You actually have the keys in your hand. You turn the lock on your own door that you own already and you walk into the house. If it's a car, you crank it up with your keys and you drive around. You go visit friends and family members, show them your new car. 
If it's a relationship, you are out on a date, maybe you're going for a romantic walk on a beach with that person, or even if you don't even know the, the face, you have the you have the outline, you have the shadow, it's there. Something is there. There's another person there that you're with. So there's various different techniques that we use to help manifest reality. And we'll be doing that next um, next Monday at Meditation Monday. I'll put up the premiere probably sometime today and it'll be ready to go. All right. I appreciate every single one of y'all. I love y'all. Stay positive. Uh, don't let the negativity bring you down. Don't let the trolls bring you down. Don't let the people that think they know everything bring you down. <laughs> just keep on flowing. Get in your flow state and just flow with it, man. Just flow. Be confident in what you do. Be confident in what you are capable of. And don't forget to research, study, uh, and improve your knowledge consistently. And I mean consistently. I'm going to go to Greece and work on my knowledge base for a couple of weeks. Then I'm going to come back and do the trading options workshop, which is going to be phenomenal. Uh, and then I'm going to go out in the end of August. I'm going to go to Egypt and I'm going to be there for a long time, gaining more knowledge, gaining more wisdom. Because <clears throat> like Einstein said, once you stop learning, you start dying. And I have a lot more learning to do, a lot more learning to do. All right. So peace, guys. Thanks for hopping on this morning. I appreciate y'all. Thanks for putting up with my groggy throat in the beginning. A little, little bit of asthma that was catching up to me. Happens every now and then. Not too often, but it does happen. But thanks for your patience. Thanks for coming on here this morning. And I look forward to uh, dropping the podcast on Thursday. My next podcast episode comes out Thursday at 8 p.m. So look for that premiere. And please don't forget to like, subscribe put on the notification bell and share this video with as many people as you can. I appreciate y'all and I love y'all. Have a great, fantastic week. Okay. On that note, it's time to pass this talking stick to our sister Rainbird. I know that you can give the last word and the Emerald Serpent's other one is with you here too with all the angel series feathers rainbows and crystals here it comes rainbird all right i got it my remarkable vehicle came back and i don't know where everybody else is but it could <laughs> all be out there <laughs> thank you carl thank you Baba, and mother and everybody else it was a lovely evening lots of gratitude I pass this talking back, stick back over to Brahma in case you've got something. Okay. It's the bewitching hour. And I know TJ would be snoring if I take any more, but we're going to play a song. And I think Brahma knows what it is, and everybody else will when we start playing it. It's just a short, short good night. Got the sound up there, right? Yeah.
Continue on the bridge, everyone. That will take us into the dream time for sure. Dot Nam. Dot Nam Ji. 13 thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. See you this afternoon. <laughs> Namaste, everyone. Namaste. Namaste.